There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, this is Tyler Jones, and you're listening to The Element Podcast. It's got me looking for a dance floor, grab a dead in your bonfire prize day. I come in here, break a crush, make a sugar shake, and after legging, everything is going my way. I got a long-legged girlfriend hopping out the shotgun, nothing like a small town, baby. She's the What's happening, all my woods people? Man, we have not been doing much hunting lately. Uh, Casey, you've done a little bit in the last week, and how terrible has that been? Oh, it's real bad. Late season in Texas was just rough this year. Warm weather, just kind of muggy. Weather. The weather, Look man. at you. How about that? <laughs> Taking my spot. <laughs> Sorry, man. I didn't Look mean at this to. misty cloud I know. Right here. That's how you know that the weather is bad. It's like straight up Seattle, Seattle Washington <laughs> up in here right now in Texas. It's kind of crazy, but it's finally cold at least, but it, like we were talking earlier on the phone once deer season's over, I'm like, okay, I'm ready for 70 now. Yeah. Like, I'm over this. Yeah. But if it was still deer season, I'd be like, bring on the cold fronts, right? Mm-hmm. But it's just, it ain't the same. Now I'm looking forward to some, uh, you know, green stuff and fishes and, mm-hmm. you know, that whole thing. But yeah. uh, we still have some hunting, in some sense, going on. Yeah. In the fact that, like, the previous personification of our images are on youtube mm-hmm. doing some hunting right now so that's cool Dang, even though you. we personally aren't <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh we get to watch ourselves yeah get to watch ourselves which is always really enlightening um but it is. Uh, we did uh just released a couple really fun videos man uh mm-hmm. whenever you see big deer and be close to big deer i enjoy that mm-hmm. so that happened in the last videos we did two at once pretty much right because mm-hmm. there's just so much to the story you just would like the to where it happened like it happened the right way every <laughs> once in a while. You know what I mean? Like I like I, I'm agree I agree with you. Like we have had some pretty cool experiences this year. But uh man, I wish that like you could have like three close calls with a big buck and then the fourth time you kill him. Yeah. Instead of like 
400 close calls of the big buck, and we're sitting here at the end of the season trying to slock a Well, they're all different bucks. You know what I mean? It's true. Like, we never, even when we do get to go to the Midwest, all except for the early, or not early, but late October Iowa trip, uh, we chase the same buck a couple days. Mm -hmm. But pretty much, the way it always works for us, uh, no matter where we go, we're just trying to find a big buck. And we see some big bucks, but we never... Like, I don't think one time this year that I get close to the same deer. What stinks is that when you say big buck, we're not necessarily, it's not necessarily like big for a lot of people. No. You know, like, oh, I mean, like what you would consider big if you're watching hunt TV or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, we're looking for like three and four year old bucks Mm -hmm. and we find them, but dadgummit if we can't get you know 30 yards from them very often yeah yeah it's tough (laughs) we've had some 50 we have had lots of 50 and under encounters Mm -hmm. this year but it's like when i say 50 and under it's 15 50 and uh between 40 and 50 yeah between 40 and 50 that that real weird range where it's just like man i just don't feel like i want to take that shot especially with a 25 mile an hour wind Mm -hmm. you know oh yeah but uh a lot of that going on you you and i got real close to a big big buck on the ground is that Uh, the biggest buck that you've seen probably do you think he's bigger know. than the young ten? Mm. They're gonna be right there, together. right there at the same, and this deer is gonna outweigh young ten by like fifty pounds. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I don't know though, dude. Man, that uh, that first ten point that we chased around on the ground like the first day in Kansas, he's pretty big. He's pretty big. Yeah, that's a pretty big deer. He's right there too. He is, man. They're all like that upper one fifties type buck, mm-hmm. which is a toad. Yeah, and just for a PSA. All right. Come on with it. There ain't nothing wrong with big deer. No. 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 Nothing. It hey, gets me excited. Let me just tell you. That, so we, there's, we're in cancel, a cancel culture now. Cancel right? culture. Where, like, it's bad to, to, like, do anything that's normal, right? Mm-hmm. Like, small bucks are cool, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But the two is on there. Too. As in, big bucks are cool as well as small bucks mm-hmm. and medium bucks and all of them. They're all cool, right? Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with getting excited about a big antlered, big bodied critter. Yeah. Right. They're rare. Yeah. Small bucks, we saw lots of them. Yeah. Big bucks, we saw a few, mm-hmm. several, or whatever you want to mm-hmm. say. But like, yeah. We saw some 11 points for sure. This there season. was a lot of 11 points. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good old Texas public land joke right there. Uh, yeah. That, And I'm with you, man. Like, you know what? I, I I don't even know. I I just want I just want. To, I think your point is just is spot on, man. Like, can we not just celebrate big bucks, be happy about them, and also mention that, like, you know, when we're talking about big bucks, we're talking about three and four year old deer plus. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It doesn't necessarily mean it's a giant, but giant bucks are even cooler. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Man, it's just like, well, that's kind of the why theme, do people have to... The theme of their big buck breakdowns is if you actually look at the pictures and all these bucks, they're not all like industry standard big bucks. Not many of them. they're big. Not many know? of them are that, dude. Like, yeah. That's the, that's the thing is people, myself included, I've not walked up on many like true big bucks laying on the ground. So a mature buck, no matter what he is, uh, is pretty big when mm. you walk up to him. You know what I mean? I know, like, I do. Maybe if, if uh, I don't know, maybe your definition of big buck depends on how often you've spent near eight-foot fences, you know? Mm. So, I guess so. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I don't know. It's it's just crazy to me how many people out there right now that are uh, quote-unquote leaders in our industry, 
will, you know, uh, talk about how, you know, try to, try to make this culture of, uh, shooting baby bucks cool. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's fine. It is cool. We shot a spike in Nebraska in velvet. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was one of the coolest things we had done. And I, you can tell that I'm genuinely jacked up in that video. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, but man, like if we'd have shot, you know, a 10 point in velvet, that would have been a completely, you know, even cooler level. You yeah. know what I mean? And not that it wasn't cool that I shot a spike. Mm-hmm. It's just cooler. It's just more rare, man. It's harder to do. Like you don't get to see that. That doesn't come around very often, you know? Yeah. So it's, uh, I don't know if the state fair was every weekend, probably wouldn't have it many people go to it every weekend. That's right, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a one one year, one time a year deal. Mm-hmm. So it's an exciting deal. And go eat some fried food and that kind of thing. That's why in Texas, uh, the first round of the playoffs of high school football, nobody really cares anymore because four out of the six teams get in. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's like whatever. Or five. Yeah. Or five well, teams. Once, once they make it up to Jerry World, we'll make it over there and watch some games. But yeah. until then, eh, it doesn't yeah. matter. It's like this team had a losing record. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, <laughs> go home, sirs. All sirs. Playoffs. <laughs> you were talking about playoffs? Playoffs. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> anyway, uh, we, uh, speaking of fried food, man, we have a guy that's going to teach you how to fry some food today. There is a lot of uh, cool advice on what to do with your freezer now that it is full. Uh, hopefully it's full. And if it's not, you got a chance coming up. Fishing season's coming. That's right. Put some fillets in there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where the, the pigs. This guy's all about the pigs. Dude, was, and anyway, so you're going <laughs> to, you're going to get to hear from Jesse again for the second time. He was on a long time ago on our podcast and, uh, we did a cool episode with him, uh, more based around just hogs and, and what he's got going on, uh, his concepts and that kind of thing. This time it's more about like, what can we do with what's in our freezer? And so it's exciting to do, but mm-hmm. real quick before we get to Jesse, just wanted to make a note of um, a new thing that we've got called Map Scout Challenge. KC came up with this idea. We've been holding on to it for some time now, and it has morphed into several different concepts. Uh, we're trying to make this into something that is easily achievable for us right now, uh, being that we don't have an unlimited travel budget like some do maybe, and uh, and also that KC has uh, a new one coming yep. soon. So we're trying to make this into something that we can do, and uh, hopefully it's something that is exciting for you guys. We, we are doing this thing called Map Scout Challenge. Basically, you guys have a chance to send us spots that you've never had a chance to go to that you would love to see, and we're going to go in, and we're going to drop a camera in some of these spots, and we're going to... we're going to show, you know, big wide video of the area. We're going to show what this deer sign looks like, what the hunter pressure looks like, that kind of thing. And then we're going to go back and check the camera at some point this spring or summer. And these are all going to release during the summer, these videos of these spots. So we're going to go to your spots. Pretty cool opportunity. You just send us a coordinate or, you know, share a dot on OnX uh, to our social media messages or drop the coordinates in the comments if you're brave enough, whatever. Um, and we will go try to take a look at some of these spots. Um, I'm pretty excited about this, man. It was a good idea on your part. And we're going to, we're going to develop this into an even bigger thing probably next year as well. So yeah, I think we're, we, uh, if we get a chance this, this year, we're going to try to maybe get out of state a little bit mm-hmm. for this thing. Uh, we got a, a couple opportunities there, we think. Uh, but definitely if you are part of our, uh, big texas listener base we appreciate you and send us some some ideas and some challenges for this thing because uh uh, we love getting out and exploring new and old 
public land that we've been to and places we've never been to. Mm-hmm. So uh, send us some ideas about where to go, and uh, we'll go from there. If you don't want your spot disclosed or whatever, that's fine. We can find a way to work around it. You know, I mean, yeah. I'm not big on just throwing GPS coordinates all over the mm-hmm. internet. So, uh, but I think the concepts will always be there, no matter what. Yeah, you know, for sure. so we can definitely talk about you know how to hunt different areas and how to go and scout them and figure out what's there. And we're going to be learning through this thing too. Yeah, you know, we're going to approach this as not the experts, but just like the 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 uh i guess uh the infantry if you will like the guys yeah. are going to go out and make it happen Front and then lines. we'll let everybody else kind of digest it and figure out what they think about it and sure. uh i mean the trail camera will kind of be the uh the ultimate truth teller yeah for sure for sure man because i know we've had the ultimate truth tell truth teller of a trail camera either defeat us or vice versa mm-hmm. in the texas public land game a lot yeah so um anyway i think you know, just as a side note here, I think um, you were talking about not. We don't have to post the coordinates, and we're not going to. If somebody says, "Hey, don't, you know, I'd rather rather you not," we're going to mm-hmm. try to show the maps and stuff like that. If um, you know, so um, if it's a top secret spot for you or whatever, we won't show coordinates. Uh, but man, if you're gracious enough to allow us to show coordinates, I think it could really help out just hunters in general, especially new guys who are trying to understand how to how to work maps. I mean, we had a guy send us a coordinate yesterday. Um, and he was like, man, if y'all make it up there, let me know. Cause I am just no good at maps. And he <laughs> sounds like a guy that like is actually a pretty good deer hunter and goes a lot and probably shoots some big deer and stuff, but, uh, just has never really, uh, relied on maps. And mm-hmm. so maybe this is a new thing for him to learn. Or like I said earlier, a newbie would probably really appreciate the opportunity to like, you know, answer further questions that we didn't get answered in the video by, you know, looking at those coordinates and really zooming out on a big level or whatever it might be, you know. Mm -hmm. So if you're gracious enough to to allow us to do that, man, we would appreciate that as well. So anyway, send your note, uh, your coordinates in and uh, let us know if you want to disclose, if you want us to disclose that or not, and we will get after it in there in the next few weeks. We're only doing this through March, so we need those spots quickly. Um, like KC said, most of the stuff's going to be regional, but we're going to try to get out of state a couple times, so we're going to pick and choose wisely which ones uh, work advantageously for us, which means plane, uh, cheap plane tickets or uh, feasible, um, you know, amount of miles on the truck. So anyway, with that said... Let's uh, dish it over to Jesse, and uh, man, that was a good pun. Uh, <laughs> oh man! And uh, we we will figure out how we can do all kinds of different things with all kinds of different things. All right, on the phone now for the second time on the Element Podcast, we've got author and chef Jesse Griffiths. Jesse, what's going on in the ATX today, man? Oh, nothing. I mean, just I've been uh, at work uh, for a little while. Came in to talk to you guys. It's you know, it's it's Austin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a little little warm. Uh, actually, it's cooling down. I think we're about to get a front, which mm-hmm. is exciting. I I like uh, I like the cold. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's heading y'all's way because it's it's chilled down here pretty good um, here in North Texas. So, um, so what is your what does your schedule look like when like I, I don't understand how a chef works. You know what I mean. <laughs> Yeah, I know I'm not the one to ask. Uh, I, I, you know, my schedule is crazy. I've got two restaurants, and then um, in, during hunting season, I'm I'm mostly out of town uh, teaching these. Uh, we do these hunting and cooking classes uh, under the new school of traditional cookery. So I'm I'm out uh, almost uh, I'd say three to four weekends a month since October. Uh, on the road all over the state uh, with with groups of hunters and uh, you know going over butchery field dressing 
uh, uh, cooking, uh, basically just a way to enjoy games. So we take groups out. So that's what I spend my uh, uh, hunting season doing. And then also uh, a good deal of fishing season. When it when the weather warms up, we start to focus on going down to the coast and fishing. So, you know, weekends I'm, I'm typically not in Austin. Uh, and then, you know, early in the week, I, I just kind of bounce around between the restaurants to make sure they haven't burned down yet. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, and say hi to, to you know everybody so they remember my face. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I, um, so like, I don't understand where the time is that like, I mean, and maybe I'm getting too far into the dirty details of this, but where do like the recipes come from? You know, like, is this just stuff that you kind of know this season I can install this that I've done for years now, or are you like creating in your off time somehow, or what is? How does that work? Well, I mean, it, it starts with a really good team back mm-hmm. home. So I've got executive chefs at both restaurants. So Stephanie and, at the Taqueria and Janie at the at Daidui at the restaurant. Um, they do they handle all the day to days and are really good about coming up with uh, new stuff and new menu items because we we change our menu very very often. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's very seasonal. Depends on what's coming in uh what what farms are producing around here and so they're very good at it you know we uh, you know thanks to the glory of technology we're able to keep in in touch almost constantly and uh and and stay uh, i'm able to stay apprised as to what's going on at the restaurants and kind of offer input when when it's asked of me but uh, for the most part <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're they're running it um and i'll come in and you know offer some help get in the way knock some stuff over you know <laughs> Yeah, uh, basically yeah. fill that role. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. That's fun, man. So, do you do most of the, like the supplier finding and all that kind of stuff for all, for all your ingredients and whatnot? That's a, that's a great question because I mean we're we're kind of locked into a lot of our suppliers. So you know, ten years ago when we were uh, you know still a young business, uh, I. I I dedicated much of my time to doing that, and now those relationships are established. So, you know, our chicken farmer in Lexington and our beef producer in Floresville and our pork producer down in Mathis, you know, I uh, I found them years ago, and so they're they're who we use now consistently. And I think consistency in those relationships is really important. So um, that's not as much of a um, an issue anymore at finding people we found most of them we found the, the ones that we really love and so we just try to support them uh, as consistently as possible mm-hmm. is i mean is that something that is um an, atta- an obtainable or something that something somebody that's normal could expect to kind of undertake if they really wanted some kind of top-notch ingredients just for their personal life like is that is it really something that somebody can go do that doesn't have a restaurant and buy in bulk, essentially? Absolutely. And yeah. it's probably even easier because you're not having because you're not buying in bulk. Um, and a lot of the, the best producers are going to be the smaller farms at the farmer's markets that have, you know, 20 bunches of carrots on a Saturday morning. And you're mm-hmm. not going to get anything better than that. So, you know, I think the obvious uh, first step would be a farmer's market, if not growing your own, I mean, if mm-hmm. you have the space for it, you know, a little garden just with lettuce in it is, is a wonderful first start. Mm-hmm. Um, and then beyond that, farmer's markets. And then beyond that, I mean, talking about obtaining your own protein, I mean, we, there's there's there are there's some good options out there as far as you know, 
I don't know, hunting. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <What> a novel concept. <laughs> That's cool. So like if you go to a farmer's market, what do you what do you what would you look for if you were looking for uh somebody that uh, was providing something good, you know what I mean? How do you how do you separate that from something that's just like, you know, your your old, you know, person who's trying to make a dollar there essentially? Sure. I mean, most of the people, most of the producers at a farmer's market are going to be a very high quality. Um, it's a it's a pretty competitive market because the uh, the the constituency at a farmer's market is, is pretty knowledgeable about good produce and good meats, things like that. So you got to be good to, to hang there. Um, I'd say uh, it's, it's very simple with produce. It looks good. It's, it's bright, it's mm-hmm. vibrant. Um, it, it's not wilted. Uh, you know, like a carrot will be a bright, uh, you know, orange or possibly bright yellow or bright maroon. Uh, if you let the Aggies get a hold of the genetics <laughs> um, and, uh, and then the, the greens on it will, will be, you know, like fluffy and, and just bright green and look, look really good. Look like parsley, you know, just mm-hmm. so, I mean, I'd say look for things like that. You know, it's, 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 it's almost like uh, too obvious. Mm-hmm. Like the answer to that question is like, it just looks good. Sure. Okay, cool. What about whenever you're going um, and, I mean, from what I understand, you can't go shoot enough Axis deer uh, to to provide for your uh, your restaurant on your own, right? So uh, you've got some sort of a meat supplier there, and it seems like a situation like that with meat, uh, especially like some of the the wild game stuff, would be very ebb and flow. Like, hey, I've got some this week. Hey, I don't. How do you make sure you keep like a consistent flow of that kind of you know protein that you need? Right. Another great question. And then to be very clear is I'm not allowed to shoot anything. Uh, every, all the meat that comes to the restaurant has to be inspected, but that's, um, well, fortunately we live in a place where there are businesses out there that are able to legally and effectively source wild game and put it into the commercial market. And so, um, I'll start with feral hog and, uh, we get trapped feral hogs that are brought into a producer and then they're killed under inspection. And then at that point, we're allowed to sell them. They get the blue Texas stamp on them and they're, they're treated just like, uh, any other, any other pig, any other swine. Um, and then beyond that, what we use mostly is Nilgai. And so the Nilgai are so prolific in South Texas that they are actively hunted, uh, down there commercially. And a state inspector will accompany the hunters and uh, make sure that everything is on the up and up with the animals, looks good. Uh, Again, they get stamped, put immediately into a refrigerated trailer and then transported back for processing. Um, We will see some seasonal ebb and flow on the availability of these meats, notably uh, in the summer with the hogs, because since they are trapped, they don't. Uh, they don't do too well in in the heat. So once the the daytime temps are getting into the 90s, you know, by, you know when the sun comes up, um, uh, they they will die. And so a lot of trapper trappers will opt out of actually going out. And so we we hit a bit of a a dry spell in the summer, usually with feral hogs, but. Uh, our processor out in Fredericksburg typically will stow a bunch of it away in the spring for us to help us get through like frozen trim so we can at least make sausages, things like that. Gotcha. The Nilgai, however, are active uh, year round and especially in the summer. They love it. Hmm. Um, and then beyond that, we will get some random 
uh, other exotics. Uh, we you know never get whitetail, of course, because it's a game animal; it's protected. Uh, but we will see some axis and psyca and fallow deer come through, and we'll usually buy those as a whole carcass from our processor out in Fredericksburg. But that is again, that's not consistent, but. Uh, thankfully, our menu is structured in a way where we change it every day. So if we do get an axis, we're able to bring it in, break it down, sell the loins, um, you know, make whatever we want out of it. And then as it's gone, it's just gone. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there is some seasonality to it, just like anything else. But um, again, we've, we've kind of just gotten used to the, the flow. Mm-hmm. Dude, that's so cool. I, um, I've actually been to the restaurant, um, Dadue, and... Uh, my wife and I went, I think it was last year maybe, and we don't get to get to Austin very often because it's, it's still, you know, five hours plus from us, but, um, but it was awesome, man. I really enjoyed it. How do you, how would somebody, buddy know when like there's an Axis deer at the restaurant? Oh, I don't know. I guess you call. <laughs> <laughs> I got gotcha. Sometimes we'll, sometimes we'll put it on Instagram, but, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of the the best part of it is like everything's changing up there all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you never know. Um, there, you know, there's a few things that stay on the menu consistently, but that's, those are, those are rare. Mm-hmm. Everything else is changing. And, um, you know, if you're into access, you can call us and say, Hey, let us know next time you're mm-hmm. going to have some. Cause I mean, everybody loves access. It's, yeah. it is, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's top notch. And I think, and, and I think the collective consciousness has kind of coming around to that where people are starting to realize like, or they've had access once and they're like, wait, I want to have that again. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I definitely know I have a severe prejudice against those things. If I, <laughs> I've killed, I've only killed one, it was the doe and, um, I was real happy when I walked up on that thing. I was, you know, cause it's, it's about as good as eating gets there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. That's awesome. Yeah. It's uh that's, so I guess that the, the way that the reason the menu changes so much is due to the availability of, uh, local produce, right? Cause you do, everything is local, right? Correct. So, yeah. I mean, we have to change a lot of things because we don't have things as well. It's not always because something shows up. It's also because some something might be gone, mm-hmm. like onions or, or lemons or, you know, apples, you know, like, uh, you know, that comes off the menu when we don't have it anymore. Dude, talk uh, about not having an onion. That's the thing that goes in everything. That's pretty. Yeah, how do you get rough. by? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what, uh, you know, my, the executive chef at Daido, she is like, she is absolutely the best cook I have ever known in my life. And she's a, she is a, a Cajun and her family is Puerto Rican. And so she knows cooking inside and out. And, <laughs> Every year, she is really good about, you know, she doesn't complain at all about missing anything. But the, when the onions are gone, I, I just never hear the end of it. <laughs> <I> <laughs> she's, just like, she's just like, there's no onions. But we do get green onions. So, like, the, oh. you know, right in October when the, they start getting planted, we start to get the thinnings. Now, it's obviously uh, a lot more difficult to get, you know, 10 cups of diced green onion or, you know, the white parts of green onion. Uh, than it is just to to dice up a few giant 1015s. But, uh, you know, we make do. And things taste differently year-round, too. And I think that that's that's fun in that, you know, you could have the same dish in the spring and then the winter. And depending on, you know, our availability of onions, it's going to be reflected in that. But I like Mm -hmm. to think that's, you know, that's just the way things used to be. Mm -hmm. And, And we did all right. You know, yeah, um, we made I it. Think it's just, yeah, we made it. <laughs> Humans are still here. Yeah. Uh, 
And I think it's just a fun way to cook. And sometimes not having something is as fun as having it. Mm. That's cool, man. That's awesome. I like uh, people who like to be challenged like that, man. So pretty awesome. And speaking of challenges, like on a on a personal uh, or an individual, I guess, uh, level, you know, it's, it's just so easy these days to uh, just kind of throw stuff into a microwave that's in a plastic container uh, just so that you can get dinner made, you know what I mean? And uh, I feel like a lot of blue-collar folks have this this issue where, like, there's this, you know, I'm exhausted, we had baseball practice or whatever, and I worked all day, and now it's 8 o'clock, and everybody's starving, what do we eat? Um, and so, like, the process of preparing game dishes to kind of fit into busy lifestyle that our culture tends to have. How do we, how do we approach that, man? Yeah, I think that's, you've, you've really hit a key issue uh, right on the head there in that. How do you make, how do you uh, present something that's seen as being inherently inconvenient as, as, as being convenient. And I, I think it's not as insurmountable as many people think in that it does require some foresight, but you know, I will say if you are a hunter, then you also put in a lot of time, you know, going to the lease, maybe filling feeders, scouting, looking at cameras, dialing in your rifle, driving. I mean, there's, you put in a lot of prep as far as that goes. And I think that, you know, it's that same uh, thought, put into the eating of it uh, will really pay off a lot. I think that um, putting uh, game meats into a really familiar context is very helpful. Whereas if you have a deer, uh, maybe the best thing for you to do is just to grind most of it. And there's no shame in that at all. You know, and this is coming from someone that's a professional butcher and all that stuff. But I will have you know that like, most of the deer that I shot this year were turned into just ground mm -hmm. because it's a currency around here. I have a daughter and, and she eats it and mm -hmm. it's, it's a very, it's, it's easy to <laughs> thaw. It's even, it's easy to cook. You can make burgers. It's um, so I'd say, put it into context uh, that you're going to use small, uh, efficient packages. I think packaging is key, you know, like a really thin, uh, rectangular packages that stack well and that are also able to thaw very quickly, you know, maybe in 20, 30 minutes under cold water in the sink. And then you've got a pound of ground venison or, or feral hog or even turkey breast, whatever it is that you run through the grinder. Um, and then you're able to, to have a quick meal out of that or, uh, maybe maybe batching big things out. Um, I recently made 20 quarts of uh, pasta sauce, you know, classic Italian bolognese sauce that I took all of last year's feral hog and all of last year's deer um, at the at the very beginning of this season when I was almost about to have uh, some fresh stuff, and I. I made a, a giant batch of this stuff and it was really good. And then I froze it in quartz and I'm able to pull that out um, as needed. And that's been, uh, that's been amazing because mm -hmm. I, I can pull that out and have a meal on the table in 30 minutes. If that, mm -hmm. uh, after that, you know, basically just boil some pasta and you're, and you're done. Uh, so mm -hmm. I'd say like, you know, taking that, time on that one Sunday afternoon, maybe you're watching some TV or hanging out with friends or whatever, and just uh, putting in some big projects, you know, making a giant batch of chili, uh, things like that, that you can then 
put back in the freezer and come back to uh, at your convenience on Tuesday nights, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when, you know, after, after soccer practice or whatever. Mm-hmm. So uh, what do you put when you put chili or, uh, you know, some kind of sauce up like that? What, what are you putting it in? What are the containers? Are they just like Ziplocs or how do you do that? The Ziploc will work great. Um, a vac seal bag will work very well. Uh, I have, uh, a lot of, paper or, or cardboard quart containers that I really like to freeze in because it'll expand just in case you put a little too much. It's not like plastic that will, will shatter, like a hard plastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I put them in those, and I also make a lot of stock um, that I will put in those and freeze that. And then, you know, for making quick soups or for adding to uh, a crock pot, like if I was to take a venison or feral hog shank out and throw it in the crock pot with some uh, onions um, in season, of course, and uh, and then just to put that crock pot on low and throw a quart of stock in there and you come home to dinner. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. I mean, another key thing is I people sometimes are like, "We well, shut up about the crockpots." But I, <laughs> I, I, I personally, I love them, and I, I think that um, they're a essential tool uh, for people that want to cook more game. Because oh, yeah. if you if you have the foresight to thaw a feral hog shoulder or any kind of shank cut or a long cooking cut. Um, and then get it in there before you go to work and just, you know, pile a few ingredients in there. It's going to be good. Mm-hmm. And then put it on low. And then when you're, when you get home, it's done. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing with a crock pot too, is that, um, you know, most of us out there aren't trained professional shifts or untrained professional shifts, whatever it might be, you know, like, uh, low and slow is kind of hard to accomplish for a lot of people. And a crock pot, you know, lets you do that, which kind of, uh, just kind of expands your horizon so much with all these, uh, I guess, uh, non-typical cuts, you know, like you're talking the shanks or, or whatever it might be, you know, something that has a lot, a lot of that connective tissue in it. Um, it, you know, it's, we don't really have eight hours to sit out by a smoker and keep it on 220, but you know, everybody right. can put something in a crock pot and put it on low while they go to work. Yeah. And, um, I don't have an Instapot, but I'm hearing from a lot of people how much they love theirs. And mm-hmm. so I think that there's, you know, technology is just getting better. And I mean, I say, just use it, you know, yeah. there's, there's so many recipes out there for these things now. Um, it's just a quick search. Um, and also know that you, it, you can't really go wrong, um, with a lot of these and, and just, you can you can fix it. I mean, if it needs a little more salt, or you want a little more spice, or this that. So they're mm-hmm. they're just a very very effective tools. Yeah. yeah. So earlier you talked about with the thawing in particular. You this is something I never put any thought to. But you said use cold water when you're thawing, you know, your ground meat. Um, I always use hot. To tell you the truth, just because I feel like it's going to do it faster. But there's I'm sure there's a, a legitimate reason why you said to use cold. What is that? Yeah, there's a food safety uh, issue there. I mean, it's just beaten into us in the profession that you never thaw under cold water. Um, I'm sorry, hot water. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, hot water out of the tap, probably coming in at like 130. Um, that's just uh, a dangerous temperature. And you're gonna, you are going to partially cook that meat a little bit uh, with that. So it's ingrained in us in the kitchens from, from very early on. You never use hot water and cold water. And cold water is actually very effective at it. Hot water, obviously, kind of going to work faster. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I always thaw in cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know a lot of people that thaw in hot. And I'm always like, yeah, you probably 
don't want to do that. But <laughs> if you're thawing under hot water and then cooking it immediately, yeah, uh, you're going to be fine because mm. you're going to get you're going to get into that uh, temperature zone that you don't want to be in for too long, and then immediately take it way higher where it's going to be safe. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you thawed under cold, under hot water and then didn't cook it, then you could potentially run into some problems because 130 is just is not uh it's in what they call temperature danger zone yeah so Mm -hmm. are are pushing it yeah Yeah. gotcha so also you i really love the advice about grinding uh as much as you'd like because uh i like to get creative with stuff but honestly this is exactly what we're talking about is you know me and my wife both work and we have to find ways to make meals quickly and uh yeah so grind you know ground meets the way to go but I really don't like to mix in fat, uh, mm-hmm. just because it just feels a little bit wrong to buy fat to mix in with what a shot. You know what I mean? It, sure. Is that okay, or should I just get over it? It's 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 personal preference, and it, it's you should do it, whatever inspires you to cook it at home. You should mm-hmm. stick with. And if if you if you maybe that your family prefers the the taste and texture of meat that has a little bit of beef or pork fat ground into it, then by all means you should do that. Um, but if you if and I understand uh, conceptually the point you're making about not wanting to adulterate this beautiful game meet with anything from the store. And mm-hmm. I mean, uh, absolutely support that. So yeah, do, do what works for you. Now they're going to behave a little bit differently. If, if one meat has, you know, 10, 20% fat in it and one is perfectly lean from an average white tail, um, they're going to behave a little bit differently, but um, you know, that's just what you're going to live with. And uh, we did a grind. The first a uh, few deer from this year uh, just did a straight 100% whitetail grind on it. I'm really loving it. Um, some years I'll, or some batches, I'll add a little fat. I'll just label it because sometimes those are, you know, a little fat in there might make a better burger, like literally like a cheeseburger. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but then the straight 100% uh, venison grind is, is good for a lot of other applications. Mm-hmm. So really, I mean, I, I think the take home is, is do what's going to work for you the best, you know, whatever it is that, that's going to make y'all happy. Hmm. What, uh, you know, speaking of venison, what are, what are some of the ingredients that pair well with it? I have a few that I, I know that I love to use, whether it's in a stew or, um, you know, what a, fajitas or whatever I'm doing, but what, uh, what are some of the things that you can't live without overall most of the time? Yeah. I mean, here at my house, I mean, I'm eating, I mean, a lot of ground cutlets are, are huge for me, mostly mm-hmm. because my daughter will eat any animal <laughs> that, that has been pounded thin and breaded and pan fried. Mm, uh, me too. It me too. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so, um, and so I find myself, you know, making a lot of cutlets. Um, we do standard uh, gravies with those, you know, like a standard milk-based cream gravy. Uh, we'll do brown gravy with uh, uh, stock, onions, and garlic. Uh, I, I love mushrooms and venison. I love the flavor of, like, really good, you know, maybe uh, cremini available at most stores. You know, little the, the brown mushrooms or even just white button mushrooms you know really nice with venison i love citrus with venison uh it's a rich meat and so that uh acidic note from uh lemon or orange or lime uh or even grapefruit uh can go 
pretty well with that. It needs that that balance. Um, beyond that, you know, I, I mean, some fresh herbs are always nice to have. You know, rosemary, thyme, sage, I think, is particularly good with mm-hmm. venison as well. And those are easy to grow at home. You know, you can do those in a pot on your apartment balcony if you have to. Mm-hmm. And so I always think, you know, fresh herbs are definitely worth it. They're, they're low maintenance. Uh, you know, water them every couple of days and make sure they don't roast in the summer. And, and you can have them year-round. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love sage on, on deer meat. That's one of the things I put in my stew almost yeah. always, ground sage. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Dried, dried forms of all those herbs are also very good. You know, don't be, don't be ashamed. If you don't have fresh stuff. Just put the dried stuff in there. <laughs> I lo- that's why I love you, man. You're just like, <laughs> you're just so practical. You know that not everybody has the same, you know, access to ingredients like you do, man. So well, I, I just rather people that do it than not. You yeah. know, and it's like, and at the end of the day, it's, it's still, you know, just, I want people to enjoy it, celebrate their, their deer, you know, whatever it takes. I don't care if you braise it in Coke, it's mm. fine. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. I gotcha. Okay. So let's move on to, uh, probably one of your favorite animals to deal with. Uh, at least it seems that way to me, pigs. Um, yeah. if a boar smells, does that mean he doesn't taste good? No. Okay. That's not what that means. Uh, most <laughs> I, I don't know the last time I met a uh, perfumed uh, boar, a big old like 250-pound boar that I was just like, man, I can't wait to run my hands through his hair. <laughs> uh, so, I, you know, that said, there are a lot of big boars that are going to be no good uh, or at best maybe sausage. Um, this is a question we get asked a lot, but I think that there's there's a good deal of mythology and a good deal of of kind of this passed down maybe misinformation about boars. Uh, you know, people say you can never eat a boar over X size. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one fifty, um, and then someone hears that and then they repeat that, and then after a while, that's you know that's the consensus. Um, is that that can't happen. And then when pressed, most of those people have never tried one. Um, I shot a legitimate 300-pound boar out near Lockhart uh, about a year ago, uh, last December. Um, Didn't know he was that big when I had him in my sights. We were were hunting at night. We were using a night vision setup. And uh, I've got to say I was a little... Not disappointed, but, you know, surprised when we walked up to him. And mm-hmm. I was like, that is a big boy right there. <laughs> he, didn't, he, he didn't smell great. Now, I will say he also didn't smell terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, so we absolutely cleaned him just like we do every single pig, not knowing what was going to happen. As soon as we got through the skin and saw the amount of fat on him, I, I, things started to look up. Yeah. Um, he, uh, he was looking real good. I mean, two or three inch fat cap, all acorn uh, out there is four kinds of oaks in that region. And so all acorn fed giant boar and, you know, we butchered it out, uh, wrapped it up tight, keep it dry, iced it down right away, came home, butchered him a couple days later. And I took the fat out. Uh, I had taken some of the leaf fat, kind of that waxy fat that you get around the kidneys and the tenderloins on the inside of the cavity and decided to try to render some lard. And that's going to be either 
the worst idea you had that day <laughs> or the best because if if that's a big stinky pig most of that stink is going to be kind of kept in the fat and so i had a giant pot of fat turned it on low and just you know said here we go let's see what happens and uh you know, about 10 minutes in, the whole house started to smell like delicious roasted pork. And there mm. was no funk at all to it. And I rendered out, you know, I got oh, like two or three quarts of fat off of this animal. And then was able to get all different roasts, sausage, chops, things like that. And they were all fantastic. One of the best animals I've ever had. Now, my point is not that every boar tastes like that my point is is that almost every boar that people of that size that people would shoot would just be drug off to the gut pile when in turn i came home with 60 70 pounds of really high quality meat from it because i didn't um i've had a lot of big boars that were fantastic i mean really good they had good amounts of fat on them and i've also come across some uh that were pretty rangy lean and uh and and weren't as delicious and i find it to be a lot uh or, um, i find it to have a lot to do with uh where they're coming from um the more oaks the more hardwood and the more water you have tends to grow better hogs so where you guys are great mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. you know basically that whole like blackland prairie region that that encircles the dfw metroplex and kind of scoots all the way down toward almost to, to austin kind of east austin the college station area um the northern hill country where there's lots of oaks and uh pecans you know the brownwood gold uh area it's really good for hogs um but then when you get to south texas things will start to change. You'll start to see a lot uh, leaner hogs, and the, the big boars can sometimes have a bit more of that strong smell to them. So, I, you know, I, 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 it's hard to say that every, every big boar is going to be good, but um, definitely more than people think. And the, the surest way to know is after you've got that thing skinned and gutted, is just go in for a big sniff, you know. And <laughs> it, it's true because you'll, you'll smell it on the meat. Mm -hmm. And there's been so many times, you know, and get the guts out, of course, and get that smelly hide off of it. And once all that's happened, I'll go in and smell. And so many times you're like, wow, that I don't really even smell anything. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. at that point, it's safe to say that that, that pig will be uh, at the very least good for 50 pounds of chorizo. Mm -hmm. I got you. So I, I know a lot of people that um, shoot pigs and just backstrap them. What's the best way to, I mean, and not that this is an excuse for them just to do this, but I guess I'm just making that point in this context of what's the best way to cook a pig backstrap? Because I've tried it before and I dried it out pretty bad. So Yeah, yeah. It depends on the fat content on mm -hmm. them. Um, I'd say, um, you know, with, with the backstrap, and if you're starting from right behind the ears and going all the way down to the hams, you're actually going to be getting kind of a two, two, maybe three distinct sets of muscle in there. The, the part of the, from, from right behind the ear to the, the back, back of the shoulder, um, the kind of the top of the shoulder, um, or kind of equivalent to the Boston butt right in there, uh, are a part of it, uh, the pork butt, um, 
is is very good, and you could almost slow cook that. Um, then the the rib part, uh, which would be equivalent of a boneless chop, uh, can be good on the grill. And then you start to get leaner the further south you get towards the hams. Mm-hmm. Now, if you just cut one big long back strap out of there, and you just want to prepare it in one way, uh, I would suggest cutting that into maybe inch thick steaks against the grain and uh, doing almost a slightly a, a slow cook or stew on it. Um, I got a recipe in my first book, A Field, for uh, smothered boar chops. And you can definitely do that boneless, no problem. And you just cut those into inch thick cuts and flour them, uh, brown them off, and then you go into the pan with some onion um, and uh, then put them back in there with some stock and thicken that up and cook them for about an hour in there. And it's it's very, very good. Uh, one of the key components to that, though, is that we'll brine that backstrap. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that uh, brining is, is just a, a very, very good trick to have, whether you're cooking feral hog or wild duck, um, uh, turkey. Things like that, they all respond very well to a to a brine, which is a saltwater solution uh, that you put the meat in after it's been uh, butchered out. And what you're essentially doing is replacing the liquid with it found within the muscle with a seasoned liquid uh, through reverse osmosis. The the moisture within the muscle will equalize with the salted water on the outside of it, and it'll take on those flavors. And so we we take that opportunity not just to put salt in there, but it's uh, put sugar and then dried spices as well. I typically will use bay leaves and then a spice called star anise. Um, pretty, pretty specific and <laughs> fairly obscure. I mean, I don't know if all grocery stores carry that spice, but there's something about it that works very well with game. Uh, there's something about that kind of gamey flavor that that spice in particular will buff out a little bit Mm -hmm. and so it's a it's a real good trick to put that in your brine uh and there's a recipe for that brine in that book as well um and then and then braise those off those thick cuts like that or you can trim up that whole backstrap muscle real good get any fat and connective tissue on it i'm sorry off of it and then pound those thin and bread them as cutlets that's another great way to do it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that that disappears real quick around our place man (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, so that's i mean is that kind of like if you were gonna um uh present this to a wife or a daughter or some you know party guest, is that kind of what you're probably looking at most of the time is a fried uh cutlet or um i mean i feel like a Sometimes like a barbacoa is easy for people to do as well. Sure, sure. And, you know, that that cut, the backstrap cut may or may not have enough fat and connective tissue on it to be really effective in a barbacoa situation. But it probably will. Um, For something like barbacoa where you're going to do a very slow cook, you actually want a lot of silver skin on there. And that's another good trick that people need to uh, kind of start to – wrap their heads around is is that silver skin is not the enemy that once it hits about 190 degrees over a couple hour period it starts to break down into gelatin and uh, that's what adds that really nice texture to the braise to chicken soup things like that and i think the best way the best context to put that into 
that every Texan will understand is a brisket. Mm-hmm. Like if, if you cut a nice two-inch brisket steak and slapped that on the grill and cooked it medium rare, what would you have? Uh, grizzle steak. Yeah, it'd be <laughs> yeah, tough. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, a brisket is full of silver skin and connective tissue and fat and very dense, lean meat. But we all love it because we cooked it long enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's key. And that's the same. It's the exact same concept you're going to get into when you're looking at a, a shoulder or a shank uh, or even, for that matter, a rack of ribs off of a fairly lean hog or, or even a deer. It's the same kind of concept is that you got to give it time. You know, people are willing to give their briskets 19 hours, uh, but might declare a feral hog to be tough after four. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so it's it's really kind of the same game. I got you. Um, I got because I've I've tried on some small hogs before. Um, I've kind of like just rubbed them in spices, wrapped them in foil, and put them in the ground with like a bunch of hot coals and shoveled a few on top and that kind of thing. Um, and I haven't just loved how it turned out, but I love mm-hmm. like. I love the the spectacle and the fellowship that kind of surrounds that a lot of times, that whole just like, hey, we're going to cook one in the ground, y'all will come out kind of thing. Um, But what am I doing wrong? Like, is it not enough spice or should I cook it above the coals on, you know, a grill essentially? Or, I mean, what am I doing wrong there? If I had to guess, I'm going to say that there's not enough fat on the animal and too much direct heat, which is going to make it probably fairly, if I'm guessing it's coming out a little dry. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Probably and not not like I feel like that maybe I don't know this, but I, I tried to put a lot of spice on it last time I did, but it mm-hmm. almost felt like it just wasn't, you know, like obviously after you get into the interior of the meat, it doesn't have spice on it anymore. You know what I mean? When you start right. picking picking at it. Well, I'd recommend a brine in that situation. Okay. Because yeah. what a brine is going to do is going to penetrate faster than a dry rub. Uh, the brine will penetrate like a let's call it a thirty pound hog carcass you know you put that into a a cooler with brine and ice uh for two days you're probably going to get about a hundred percent penetration of that brine (laughs) through the thickest cuts and so uh i think that'll help it'll also help with the the moisture um another thing i like to do if you want to do a whole little pig and let's say you know maybe it was a 30 pound pig live weight is i'll cut that into big pieces and it's there's no you know, scientific or precise way to do that. I'll Mm -hmm. cut that into big pieces and I'll make a marinade out of, um, you know, something acidic, like maybe like a pineapple, pineapple, onion, cilantro, maybe some hot chilies in there. Oh my goodness. And (laughs) and rub that all over and marinate that. And so with that, the enzymes in that pineapple are going to start to kind of break that down. Then I'll take that and I'll put it in a, in a Dutch oven, all those pieces Add a little bit of water to that and then, you know, cover that in coals. And you can still have that experience, the fellowship, the the standing around, the drinking the beer and all that. And, I, I mean, I don't want to deprecate for a second the value of that, you know, because mm-hmm. that's, I mean, you want to be able to still do that and have that whole animal and have that fire and stand around and enjoy that process. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a good way. And that's one one way I've learned to kind of have a foolproof way of getting that hog tender because then you're cooking it 
in a hermetically sealed uh, Dutch oven. You know, the weight of that lid is keeping all the moisture in there, and you're you're basically steaming it. And then after six to eight hours, you open that up, and that thing is just falling apart. Mm, <laughs> and and you still have the that experience. Now you don't have the whole animal splayed out head on or whatever you've done but you still have the whole animal in that pot and it comes out real nice Mm -hmm. so while we're talking about whole animals um something that i've always just kind of had a concern with but i don't always put a lot of thought into is uh the lymph nodes that'll be you know kind of in the hams and other places uh, mm-hmm. When you're doing a whole animal like that, do you go in there and remove those, or you just leave them and let them be? Yeah, I just, I just leave them. I mean, people ask about glands all the time, and yeah. my answer is, like, uh, take them out whenever I see them, um, but also know that you've eaten a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I got you. That's yeah. funny. Um, and you never you never noticed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They yeah. kind of just become part of the meat, I guess. You know, it's just yeah. not something yeah. you even think about. Um, yeah. The kind of the age old thing with hogs is sausage, right? And breakfast mm-hmm. sausage in particular mm-hmm. is kind of what we've done yeah. a lot of. Um, is that a viable way to use a whole hog? Uh, you know, yes. is, so do you eat that much breakfast sausage? Will a family, if they have it on hand, you know, or, or should you be looking at, you know, w- like what's a ratio of, of ground to, to whole cuts? Well, you know, it depends on, on what your family's usage is going to be, and it depends on uh, what that hog looks like. Like if it is a bigger boar, he's very lean, mm-hmm. you're not going to get any any good cuts off of him. Like the ribs just don't look good. There's no fat on the hands. There's no fat on the shoulder. There is no shame in grinding the whole thing. Uh, another thing that I like to have is just straight-up ground pork, mm-hmm. you know, just like anything else. You say you want to make a, a batch of some pasta sauce, and you take a pound of ground pork and a pound of ground venison, brown it in a pan, add this, that, and the other, and, and you're, you're in business. Mm-hmm. So it's a good, like, workhorse thing just to have some plain ground uh, feral hog, too. And then I'd say, you know, maybe mix it up if you've got a big pig between breakfast sausage, maybe make some chorizo, um, and maybe make some link sausages or some smoked sausages mm-hmm. yeah. uh, that'll that'll work for you. But a sausage is, is a great thing for bigger pigs absolutely mm-hmm. yeah do you do any like in the field selection you know to where you, you're going out and looking for 80 yeah. to 100 pounders and stuff well um you know i gotta i'm gonna issue a sensitive listener uh warning <laughs> okay okay uh pregnant sows yeah uh definitely so they, they call them wet uh, sows right or something wet like that sows. yeah no 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 wet, a wet sow is nursing Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, so you don't want the. I mean, you take whatever you want, but, yeah. or, or you know, whatever presents itself. But uh, I'll, I'll give you a good example. Is last uh, turkey season, I was sitting there waiting for a turkey, but of course, I mean, because it's me, <laughs> yeah. a founder of ho- hogs runs out, and it's like forty feet away, and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna ruin this turkey hunt real quick. <laughs> <laughs> so. And I, uh, I had two rounds of buckshot uh, in my bag, and so I put them in there, and, I'll, and I and I got about 20 feet from them. I was downwind of them, and I got real close. And it was a sounder of uh, of three sows, um, a few piglets. Two of the sows were obviously nursing, and one of them was just a big old football, um, and that's the one I shot. Uh, mm-hmm. I wanted the pregnant one because the, the fat uh, is going is, is staying within – 
the hog instead of going into the milk that is mm-hmm. then fed to the young. So their energy and their fat resources are being fed to their piglets. So if you do have the opportunity to pick out a, a pig from a sounder, choose the fat uh, pregnant one. And they're going to be either nursing or pregnant at all times. So, yeah, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no kidding, man. Okay, so what about... I know, I know you hate to move away from pigs, but, uh, ducks are such a, uh, such a hard thing for some people. I feel like, like duck hunting is so much fun. Um, but I know so many guys, man. Uh, and I, my dad cooks a really good gumbo. Um, mm-hmm. I did, um, some ducks recently, um, on the grill, medium rare, uh, just kind of as a popper that I loved. My whole family loved them. Um, but you know, like there's so many people that d- don't eat ducks and in their yeah. family, you know, as, as duck hunters, sometimes, you know, they may shoot a limit of ducks. Well, I mean, they're not going to eat a whole limit. And if they do that several times a year, if they're the only one in their family that eats, they, there's an issue, you know? So and yeah. to be honest, I know a lot of guys that waste ducks in other words, and yeah. I, I don't like that at all. And I think, you know, there's some Asian cultures that treat them as a delicacy, but I do understand that, um, like we, it's tough to pluck a duck. It's, it's tough to render duck fat and all these different things that you would see in some cookbooks. I mean, I know these, a lot of these guys and I do the same. A lot of times I pull the skin back and I fillet it off the breast. How do, how do we make that taste good? Well, yeah, see, yeah, we're, we've, we've definitely gone from the fun part of the conversation. We're going to, we're going to have to get like, Get kind of real now. Sure, <laughs> sure. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I have some opinions. Okay. Um, and I think first and foremost, it's it's okay if you don't uh, if you don't like the taste of duck because not all ducks taste the same. Um, I recently had an argument with uh, a pretty well known uh, hunting uh, guy <laughs> about this very topic, in that I uh, I don't hunt ducks a lot anymore. Um, mostly because I don't enjoy, and there's a lot of asterisks involved here. I don't enjoy the way that the ducks around where I live taste. Mm-hmm. I'm in central Texas. I'm, I am above, I, I'm getting ducks before they get to what's left of the rice fields to the south of me. Um, I've had ducks taken, you know, along the coast and around rice that were way better than, the. Gadwalls that that I shoot around here, and we mm-hmm. we killed ninety five percent gadwalls here. We do too. Uh, a beautiful duck, um, hit or miss as far as flavor. I ate gadwall breasts for dinner night before last. Um, they were good, not great, and I had every trick in the book uh, on those. I brined them, I grilled them over mesquite charcoal. Um, they still had a bit of that funk to them. And I don't think there's anything wrong with admitting that wild duck is not uh, always the best tasting meat. Now, I think a corn-fed mallard from South Dakota is probably going to be a way different animal mm-hmm. uh, than, than what we're getting to. Now, for that matter, a teal or a wood duck shot around here is likely to be delicious. Um Okay. All that said, you know, and we're, you know, I'm just being very honest as far as, you know, coming at that from a culinary aspect. If you don't like ducks, then don't shoot them. Sure. Um, they are not a, as much of a renewable resource as a hog or for that matter, a hill country whitetail. 
and uh, I think they, they deserve to be treated with a lot of respect. Uh, they've flown all the way down here from Canada, and there's a lot of other things that you can get out there and hunt, and I know that there is nothing that compares to a duck hunt. I love it, but I've kind of come to the realization that I'm going to eat duck you know, Central Texas duck. I'm going to, I'm going to make three or four meals out of it a year. And I've aligned my hunting to that. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you are shooting ducks and throwing limits away in the dumpster, which I saw down in, uh, um, Rockport, uh, a couple weeks ago, um, I absolutely have uh, no sympathy for that. And I think that that's exceedingly wasteful, illegal and immoral. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just shouldn't be done. If you don't like the ducks that much, then not just go sit in a deer stand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. yeah. There's there are a lot of tasty things out there, you know. So yeah, I understand. Yeah. And I, frankly, like I said earlier, I I like ducks. Um, even the gadwalls that we get around here, um, I, I don't mind the the flavor that you know, like some people do. Um, and my my dad has a gumbo recipe that he learned from a Cajun woman that was. Uh, mother of one of his friends and uh it is the best food i've ever had in my life yeah. and so yeah. like it's i'll i'll stack them up and we'll do a, <laughs> a couple of batches of gumbo every year you know and that's just to me even if you don't like ducks you can usually get away with uh gadwalls in a gumbo and still love it you know what i mean so there are ways yeah. ways to do it it just takes time like we've kind of talked about you know it it's not the most convenient thing to do it, but it's kind of like, don't take part in it if you don't, if you want only conveniency, you know, so. Right. I mean, and that said, there are some other tricks and, you know, okay, lecture over, uh, try <laughs> brining. Brining works real well on ducks. Uh, very, very well. Um, and then also an, <laughs> circling back to the, the cutlets, you know, take those breasts, pound them out, bread them uh and pan fry mm-hmm. and uh again that's that is another good entry-level way to enjoy that mm-hmm. and i think that you know even a, a spoonie breast you know pounded <laughs> out uh can be good although i've had spoonies that were delicious yeah you know, yeah i think it goes to just to illuminate that that each duck is is a little different and yeah. it's kind of hard to know <laughs> yeah um until you get in there so when you're frying all these different cutlets talk about that because I did, I did, uh, the little like tenders that are underneath the breast of the duck. You know what I'm talking about? Um, I, I did my, my kids and I went and jumped a, a couple mallards off a pond and I shot the Drake and, um, we brought it back and I wanted to show them like how quickly that can turn into food. You know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't want it to go into the freezer. And then later on, you know, my four-year-old doesn't really put it together. Um, so I, took those little tenders and I just basically I just um put them uh they were kind of wet you know after I washed them cut them into like you know halves put them in flour and threw them in canola oil real hot for you know whatever 30 seconds or whatever it was and they loved them and I feel like that is such a simple way to do it but I know there's got to be better ways to do the 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 breading and all that so and I've done different breading but I just want to hear how you do it and how you how do you salt? Do you salt after? Do you salt before? You know, what, how old do you do this? Uh, 
with cutlets, I'll always season the meat. Um, actually, with anything, if, even for frying fish, uh, I like to. If if you're not using a seasoned breading, uh, then I will season the fish or season the meat that I'm about to fry. I think that's just important for maintaining the the right amount of seasoning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I do flour, uh, a egg wash, so just beaten egg with a little bit of water, and then uh, breadcrumbs. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what you do. You do that on dark meat and everything. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, any any cutlet that I'm making, whether it's a wild turkey breast or a duck or a, um, a pigeon, you know, mm-hmm. pigeon breasts. Man, that is that's good stuff right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, got me excited. Uh, I bought uh, a pellet gun just for shooting pigeons, man. <laughs> <laughs> pigeons are underrated. They're really good. Uh, you know, pit like. Take a pigeon breast, pound that out, not too thin, and then fry it. And there's like a little trace of pink in there. You're going to be shocked at how good that is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sounds <laughs> great, man. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so one of the things that I have an issue with sometimes is uh, like on birds and stuff, uh, especially, you know, dove, quail, pigeons like we just talked about, um, things like that. It's it's pretty easy to, to breast them and then not feel like you're wasting too much. You know, I know that some people are big proponents of making sure you leave the legs and thighs on. And I do that sometimes, but not all the time, you know, it depends on the critter or whatever. And then I really get how to butcher and clean deer, hogs, you know, all the, the big game stuff, but things are like that are in that, that mid range size, you know, particularly rabbits and squirrels is what I eat the most of. I've eaten a few beaver and a few raccoons, but I don't do that often, but that stuff that's in that mid range size where they're almost too small to break down, but they're almost too big to, uh, or maybe I said that wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah, they're almost too big to, to really know uh, that you can, you know, cut some cuts off and not feel like you're wasting. Uh, you know, what do you do with those smaller game animals like that that you might want to leave whole or you might want to figure out something to do with them? Oh, you mean like rabbits and squirrels? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, I really, uh, what I, I like to do, uh, what I did the last uh, couple squirrels that I got was uh, I just I threw the whole squirrel in the crock pot with plenty of water and basically I did like this double duty recipe where I made stock and then I also cooked the meat so uh, I seasoned it pretty heavily you know with uh, you know lots of uh, garlic onion things like that uh, and then cooked the squirrels until they were falling apart tender pulled them out then I had three quarts, I think, of stock uh, for making gumbo, etouffee, any kind of soup. And then I had a bunch of shredded meat. And you know what? I, I made uh, egg rolls oh. out, of, out of that squirrel. Mm-hmm. And it was fantastic. So uh, just took that shredded meat with some cabbage and rolled it in, in uh, egg roll wrappers and then fried that. And uh, that was a real hit. Uh, but that could have just, just as easily gone into a taco or a pasta or anything else. And so a lot of times with, with stuff like that, it, you know, you're, you're also being pretty efficient about it and that you're, you're, you're making stock for another use and you're getting the meat off of it that you can then apply to, I mean, dozens and dozens of different applications. Mm-hmm. What do you use squirrel stock for? 
Well, I made a I made a hot and sour uh, squirrel soup, but you could just as easily use it for like squirrel and dumplings, which is one of my favorite, absolutely one of my favorite game meals of all time. Uh, squirrel pot pie, or uh, you know, just any soup, or just if you if you need to boost uh, a pasta sauce or a gumbo or anything like that, if you have that quart of squirrel stock in the freezer, it can just go in there. Cool. Now we are watching two squirrels in Tyler's yard right now, so they are <laughs> one in of them is. <laughs> Y'all need to take a break. <laughs> Dude, one of them is black. Like, it's a dark color phase. It's, uh, yeah. I don't know if that, like, makes it taste better or not, but it's definitely <laughs> cool, you know? Well, until you do a taste comparison, we'll never know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to have to. He's been kind of uh, running a little uh, squirrel conservatory over here. I, uh, he doesn't really want to take the black one out of the, yeah. out of the system. So. I, I'm like, I like, I've got a couple. I've got one that's really... Uh, it's like a real, I mean, it's black essentially, but it's not super dark. And then I have one that's really dark and I'm like, man, it's kind of cool to see them around, you know, like, I don't want to shoot those. I want to, <laughs> I want them. I yeah. mean, maybe one day I'll have like just tons of black squirrels and there'll be only black squirrels is what I'm hoping. So it'd be cool. Then I can really tell you, I can that's have right. like, I can have the ingredients that <laughs> Jesse Griffiths carries, you know, like the yeah. real deal. So, so while I go, uh, you know, you just told us about the squirrel egg rolls, which I think is really cool. Um, but just in general, uh, I pretty much always uh, cook with like a Mexican flair. Almost everything I cook has got jalapenos, you know, cumin. You know, it's just kind of the way I do things. And then I try to make myself branch out, and I do you know like traditional you know uh, roasts with you know carrots and potatoes and that kind of stuff. Or then I might do a little bit of Italian. But the Asian side of things is really hard for me to you know, dip my toe in and, and know, I feel like I know what I'm doing. and feel like I'm going to make something that, that tastes good. Is there any, any critter out there that lends itself well to, you know, an Asian influence? Well, I think anything really. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I think that, I mean, feral hog, um, squirrel, rabbit, all work very well, uh, for, for any of that. I think that really the, it's the, it's the, it's kind of the concept of experimentation that's going to serve you best. Mm-hmm. And that knowing that you can kind of, uh, interchange most meats, um, you know, and it'll, it'll, the end product will obviously be different, but it'll almost always still be good. So if you want to make, you know, if that same, concept of putting the squirrel in the crock pot and having that shreddy meat instead if you had mixed that with some chopped jalapeno and some cumin and then rolled that in a in a in a, in a corn tortilla and then fried that then you've got a squirrel flauta mm-hmm. you know it was right i mean mm. that sounds that sounds real good <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. i'm into uh, that <laughs> yeah uh, you could make squirrel enchiladas but i think actually squirrel flautas sound just about spot on <laughs> <laughs> yeah me too <laughs> some sour cream some sour cream yes. some guacamole Mm. Uh, and yeah, and you, the shocking thing is, is how much you're going to get out of a squirrel or two. Uh, you'll, you'll probably be able to stretch that into a meal, uh, for three or four people. That's cool. Which, yeah. You know, cause stuff like that, sometimes it goes a lot further, uh, which is another thing that I enjoy. You think about, you know, maybe you had not the best day of squirrel hunting and you only got two squirrels, but you can still come back and have a meal out of that for mm. the whole family. Mm-hmm. Okay, real quick, uh, before we move on, I shot some birds this weekend. Um, pheasant and quail, what's the what's the best thing I should what should I do with those? Yeah, your uh your your pheasant, you know, you might want to separate everything out. There's all this romance about roasting birds whole. I find it to be fairly difficult and, and just 
it's it's kind of a setup for mm-hmm. for some failures. So I, I think that piecing birds out is is usually the best way to go. Uh, those breasts, man, I'm gonna, I am a broken record. I pound <laughs> those breasts out then and make cutlets out of those things. Mm, yeah, <laughs> you know. And then the legs, uh, you're gonna want to slow cook. I mean, that's a bird that spends most of its time on the ground. And so those legs are getting a lot of exercise, need to be cooked a lot. Mm-hmm. And I would slow cook those, uh, maybe in a tomato sauce, serve that with some grits. Um, you could braise them okay. and shred them and make like, I don't know, <laughs> flauta. Yeah, there you go. Uh, with those. Um, the quail. Uh, have you ever tried that hot fried birds recipe out of my book? No, I was going to say though that the uh, tomato braise I've done on the turkey leg and it is yeah. the best thing that it's like one of the best things I've ever had and not just saying yeah. that. I've told a ton of people oh. that, man. But well, sorry, you. I haven't tried the quail one yet though. Try try that recipe with your uh, pheasant legs. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the quail, try the hot fried birds. So basically what you're doing is you're just, you're taking the birds, you throw them in a brine and then a little bit of buttermilk and then you put them in flour. And the trick is to fry them really, really hot. Uh, so they get very, very crispy and not overcooked on the inside. And then when they come out of the fryer and you drain them, then you toss them in this mixture of hot sauce, butter, honey, garlic, and jalapeno. Oh. Mm. And so they get kind of, it's, I mean, essentially it's the concept of a hot wing. Mm-hmm. You have a crispy fried bony bird, uh, and then tossed in this mixture that is sweet, sour, and spicy. <laughs> and so it, it works really well. It's a good gateway for people that may or may not like game, and it works beautifully on most birds, doves, mm-hmm. quail, um, snipe uh mm-hmm. you know things like that so yeah. i mean it's i think it's a really good uh recipe for this how hot how hot is hot oil for you 375 okay okay yeah gotcha okay so uh with that said let's move on to fish because i know we're gonna speaking talk about, of hot oil we're gonna talk about hot oil <laughs> That's for right. sure um, yeah okay so uh, this is a question. This is something that Casey has kind of challenged me to do this year. But I'm going to ask you this question. It's a little bit in the same realm. What's the biggest largemouth you've ever filleted? <laughs> wow! Oh, I love. You know what? I I love I love like uh, poking this bear. <laughs> yep. a lot. Yep. Biggest largemouth I've ever filleted. Oh, I think I remember. Uh, yeah, I think we filleted about a six pounder one. Ooh, nice, that's, that's a good a, one. That's a big one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome, yeah. dude. I think that's the first time I've ever gone on record with that one too. So, uh, <laughs> that's good. Yeah, Biggest hate mail. Restaurant in Austin is twenty four oh six Manor Road. <laughs> <laughs> you can come by and uh, express your distaste to me personally there. Uh, most Mondays through Wednesdays when I'm in town. Please don't send so, emails. Yeah, <laughs> nothing yeah. but love on this side, man. I've caught many over that size that I've thrown back well I, not a brag I've caught some over that size and, and thrown them back but uh one of the things that we deal with is we kind of have a, a really big slot on our local lake here so it's, you can't really keep that size fish so um really a keeper is anything what is 16 inches and under is that right 16 under 24 and over so yeah. you're looking like seven or eight pounds at it's least. hard to catch that 24 so yeah. we end up with you know sure. a lot of those two pounders or so that are that are you know they end up usually in the grease. Is oh. that is that where you'd say to send them? That, that's where I would say to send them. Yeah. I don't know about Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, agreed. I mean, and I think that there is a perfect size for largemouth. Um, 
And that is that, you know, I love a 14, 16 inch largemouth. I think mm-hmm. it's a perfect eating size. Now, everybody needs to remember a largemouth is a sunfish. So the same family as crappie, bluegill, red ear. It's, it is, it's, it's almost the same meat. It's just a little bit larger flake. I think largemouth is delicious. I think fried largemouth is incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it almost, it fries up just about perfectly because of the size of the flake and that filet. And, um, you know, I don't eat a ton of largemouth. I can't even remember the last largemouth that I ate. Um, I eat predominantly white bass, crappie, catfish. Uh, but if, if me and my daughter go to a farm pond and you're catching largemouth on every cast, hell yeah, we're going to keep a few. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, you're helping the fishery at that point in time too. You know, largemouth <laughs> are so prolific in, in, in stock ponds that, you know, if you're, if you're catching a whole bunch of them that are 10 or 12 inches, it's because there's too many in there. So you might as well mm-hmm. keep some right. to eat and, you know, then maybe you'll have some bigger fish later. Right. Yeah. Right. So, what about uh, okay? People call them perch, brim, bluegills, whatever they are—the little fish that are just easy for everybody to catch. Uh, it's a good way, I feel like, to get introduce kids uh, to fishing, and then also uh, possibly like this is something that we can eat as well. Um, yeah. How small is too small to keep when you're doing that? You know, I typically put anything back uh, sunfish wise. Uh, less than i'd say six seven inches kind of depending on how the day is going mm-hmm. uh so you're out there in in big bluegill country <laughs> yeah uh and it, in all honesty that is one of my favorite fish to fish for i love fishing big bluegills um you know that an eight nine maybe 10 inch bluegill if you're lucky mm-hmm. there's nothing better than that mm-hmm. um and uh but yeah i think you know when we fish the rivers down here in central texas we really don't keep anything under seven inches and that really will confine us a lot because there's there's a lot of uh little sunfish in these hill country rivers uh but you get into the bigger uh typically around here it's the red breast mm-hmm. that gets a little bigger in the in the river and you might hit a few red ears here and there um in the slower water um bluegills tend to run real small but we'll uh you know i think around seven inches is is uh when it starts to get worth it to uh fillet and i'll, t- I'll fillet them okay uh, yeah there's i don't think it's that hard um and you get a lot of meat off of them once you get good at it um I mean, relatively mm-hmm. uh, off of them, and uh, but you can also scale them uh, and fry them whole. I like to use a curry comb, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for for horse grooming. Mm-hmm. Uh, get one of those cheap gloves from Academy, the the fish cleaning gloves. Mm-hmm. Those like bright orange, they're like three dollars a pair. Those things are amazing. I really like using those for cleaning fish because they give your hand a little bit of protection against the knife, but more than that, they give you a good grip on fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and go in, and I'll take a wear glove in my non-dominant hand, my left hand, and then use that curry comb. Uh, just and it'll you'll just zip those scales right off. It's a really good trick for scaling fish, and you can yeah scale a, a bluegill whole, head it and gut it, and then fry that um, really good, or fillet them and fry them. I hardly ever do anything besides besides fry them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and fillet um, you're taking the skin off as well on the outside, right? Yes, I take. Gotcha. Uh, whenever I fillet, I'm typically taking the skin off, except if it's maybe a. Uh, well, I can't think of any. Uh, maybe like a 
a trout, like a true like mountain trout or you know, mm-hmm. like a stalker rainbow or something like yeah. that. I'll leave the skin on. So there's a big variance of species in like the panfish varieties. And let's take crappie out, out of the out of this equation because they're kind of their own thing. But, you know, you mentioned red breast, red ears. Uh, we call them goggle eye, you know, just an old traditional big mm-hmm. mouth perch. And then bluegills yeah. and long-eared sunfish. Are they all going to pretty much do the exact same thing cooking-wise, or should you treat one of those a little bit differently? No. In my experience, those are all going to eat just about the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and then around here, we have those Rio Grande cichlids, which is mm, not yeah. even a sunfish. But they almost, I mean, in size and shape, and they they almost behave just the same Man, as all the sunfish. I hate to be like a hippie sometimes, but I just am. I just have I'm a hard. It's, it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I have a real hard time killing one of those. They're just so pretty, you know. And yeah. and not that there's anything wrong with it. It's just I, I have only caught a few of them, so I just have a hard time killing one. It's they're just a, such a cool critter. Yeah. When I first uh, moved uh, to Central Texas from from Denton, uh, I I caught a couple of them and I, I didn't even know what they were i was just yeah. like, what what is this thing and i i caught a monster one time uh i i swear that thing was every bit of 15 inches long oh my and i i put it back and like but thinking that they were some very rare fish but then as if you fish in these hill country rivers you start to realize that they're not rare whatsoever especially in like the guadalupe uh the blancos uh san marcos drainages there's a ton of them mm-hmm. out there and it, there's nothing wrong with pulling four or five of those out in yeah. a day uh but i completely understand the sentiment of uh of thinking oh well these are you know just because you're not used to seeing them yeah mm-hmm. but around here they're they're a very common fish dude how do you fish the blanco isn't it like all private yeah um <laughs> Yeah, the block is a tough one. It really is. You can get in at the state park, uh, uh, but for the most part, it's it's pretty hard to get in there. It's cool. Um, San Marcos has some fairly good access and is weightable in stretches and then and very floatable. So most of the hill country rivers that I fish, uh, it's, it's usually the San Marcos. Mm-hmm. It's also pretty close. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, and an incredible fishery. I mean, really good uh red breasts uh small bluegills huge red ears but very uncommon i mean you'll catch it's you don't catch a lot but we've caught them up to 11 and a half inches mm, out of that river yeah and uh and good channel cats out there too and you can catch them all in the same bait you know we drift uh mealworms mm. out there and, and kind of a mixed bag of, of just about everything and cichlids and the rio grande cichlids as well that's awesome man it sounds like a lot of fun and you know, speaking of rivers, coming up soon, uh, we're gonna start Ooh, seeing we're gonna start seeing the sand bass. <laughs> the whites are gonna run, man. Yeah. So, um, uh, this is this is something that you that's near and dear to you, I think. And uh, they're they're relatively easy to catch, which is a good thing for uh, you know families to go do and that kind of thing. Um, I've heard that you can't freeze them, and I have never tried because I just when I get some, I just eat them usually. Is that right. an old wives' tale, or is that a, kind of a truth? Well, there is, uh, you know, I think there's a bit of truth to that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something that happens in freezing where it brings that little bit of fishiness out of them a little more. They're, they've got a little more oil content than, than your sunfish. And so I think what's happening is this is just conjecture is that maybe there's those, that, that extra bit of fat in them is going rancid in the freezer over time. Mm-hmm. Um, I fried up some 
like the last little batch that was, you know, that, that hidden package in the freezer. Yeah, oh, yeah. Hello. Uh, uh, maybe a month ago. And it had a little bit of that flavor to it. I think what's key with white bass and also with hybrids and stripers is getting the bloodline out. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, very important. And also getting them as cold as possible. And it, I mean, if think about it this way, most of your white bass fishing in the spring is done by people on the bank versus people in boats. In, mm-hmm. a, in a boat, you got a cooler with ice and the fish is, is dead and cold very quickly. Um, but if you're walking up and down these muddy banks, hitting spot after spot, you're dragging your stringer up and out um, of the water, uh, the the meat quality of that fish is going to be, um, you know, compromised, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately. Uh, and I think that, you know, what you want to do when you get back to the truck is just have, have your cooler with ice waiting for them. Get them on ice immediately and as cold as possible. Fillet them. Uh, get rid of that bloodline and then uh, vac seal that um, and then try to get to it as soon as you can i think it's a fish best eaten uh fresh like you're saying mm-hmm. definitely but sometimes when you get a limit uh then that's definitely multiple meals that you're going to get out of them uh but uh you know i white yeah white bass is it's I, I grew up on it it's absolutely one of my favorite things i think we're we're maybe two weeks out oh really uh, from the start i've caught them in the rivers on january 4th i believe was the earliest i've wow. caught males out of the uh i'm not going to name the river <laughs> there you go yeah i wouldn't either <laughs> I'll go ahead and name it somerville out of somerville yeah you know that's where i cut my teeth on the on the run you know up yeah. here where we live um i don't know we just never really did it much crappie was the thing that we always emphasized for spawn but yeah. you know going to i went to school at a&m so Somerville was the close one, and uh, that's yeah. where you know I kind of learned that hey, you can actually go out even earlier than crappie and throw these little bitty micro rigs in the creeks and catch salmon. It's pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, and to be clear, I don't go to Somerville. I just want everybody else to go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's uh, the funny thing is uh, I learned the term gas burgoo when I was down there. Yeah. I, we always called them freshwater drum, but. Uh, you know, that's where I learned that. And uh, you talk about hooking in one of those things whenever you're chunking a sandbass rig in the creek. My <laughs> goodness gracious. Yeah. yeah. What an interesting fish that is, too. Yeah. Um, a very, very, uh, I think a very fine eating fish. Very high in fat. Uh, an interesting texture in the fillets. Like sometimes they can be extremely firm. I don't know if you've run into that where the, the Gasper fillets can be, uh, I don't want to describe it as rubbery, but like very, very firm, but still but still somehow a little bit tender. Um, they're a real interesting fish to cook. Uh, I think they fry up beautifully. And I, uh, we actually target them uh, on a lake that we fish in South Texas. So when we, we catch them along with blue cats a lot down there and mm-hmm. uh, love that. I mean, getting catching a big, uh, big gaspers cause for celebration. Yeah. yeah. I think they're good. I, and I, now I don't want to get regulations wrong, but I'm going to table this. I believe you can uh, shoot them with archery equipment too. Isn't that correct? I'm not sure on that either. All right. uh, probably. I don't. They're not a game fish. Yeah. So if you're listening, easily. look that up before you do it. But I think <laughs> it's a good way. I'm always looking for that niche where, uh, not that I bow fish that much anymore, but if you can go out and actually obtain some legitimate good eating fish by doing it, I'm all about it. Yeah. You know, if well, it's what, a means you know, to an end. 
gar is uh, fantastic we caught a gar the other day it was a real slow day we got one blue cat and one gar i was just as happy about the gar because it was perfect eating size it's about two feet long mm-hmm. um and uh, i mean they are understandably hard to clean but the payoff is really good the meat of a good you know small gar is incredible mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um I liken it to chicken thigh. Uh, they're just hard to clean. There's a, it, it's not really something that can be described uh, verbally. You kind of have to, to see it, but uh, once you get get it down as to how you do it, and if you have the equipment, notably like like pruning shears, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's pretty easy, actually. And you get these long like loin like fillets off of them, almost like a backstrap, and then you can slice that and fry it. And uh, once you've had it, you'll Never call them a trash dish. <laughs> you know, I've that's never, cool. I've had garballs, and that's about it. But I feel like yeah. that's kind of a cop out almost. It's just a way to make something, you know, taste okay. Uh, sure. But uh, I've been kind of interested in that. I kind of gone on a, uh, I don't know, uh, not anti. I don't know, uh, just a, uh, uh, a span where I don't pick up the bow fishing rig anymore because I kind of. In my younger years, did some uh, some things I'm not as proud of with bow fishing, you know, and and kind of just kind of have a, a bad taste in my mouth about it after I've I've grown older. But uh, you know, there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot of cool things out there that we just always kind of assume is trash fish, and and really, if you take the time, you know, there's a, who knows what you can eat out there. You know, I, I grew up right. with the fact that you didn't eat freshwater drum, but like you were saying, you know, the about. Uh, six years ago, I ate my first one, and it's like, hey, this tastes pretty good. You know, it's just yeah, another fish. Great. Yeah, yeah. So what? Yeah, I mean, a good example of saltwater would be a gaff top. Yeah, um, one of my favorite fish out of saltwater is the gaff top, and people hate them. Uh, <laughs> They're slimy. I, They're pretty. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. No, there's no debate in that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think it's I think it's a fantastic fish to eat. Yeah, yeah. So on the saltwater thing, that was. Uh, um, Something else we kind of wanted to talk about a little bit. Uh, it seems like in freshwater, a lot of the fish that you eat are kind of a semi-firm, white, flaky fish, right? And uh, well, I guess we skip freshwater catfish. Do we want to hit that real quick? I mean, we can. I, I kind of yeah. want to know also because you're such a fan of of white bass. What what you how you do them most of the time? Um, <laughs> I fry them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, that's fine. I, I lo- fried fish to me is just amazing. Whether it's a fish taco, and there's different breadings and stuff I'll use. White bass is one of the things that I'll step out a little bit and maybe do like just saute it. We'll take the fillet and don't don't bread it at all. Put it in a hot pan with olive oil and just let it sit there without moving it until it gets a nice crust on that one side, and then carefully flip it. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I enjoy the flavor of, white, of fresh white bass so much. And, you know, in the spring, so many great vegetables are starting to come in that I feel like work well with white bass, like fresh peas, artichokes, asparagus, like those good green spring vegetables that are just uh, so nice mm-hmm. with them. And also another thing that I almost always eat with white bass is wild onions because if the white bass are running, the wild onions are growing and vice versa mm-hmm. so uh it's something that i almost always come back with a handful of wild onion uh along with uh i mean obviously every time i go out i get a limit right but, uh, <laughs> so the, but, uh, wild, the wild the, onions so. the wild onions are those like the little green shoots that grow white flowers on them is that what yeah. you're talking about okay 
Yeah, and they smell just like an onion when you cut the grass or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, there's. I think that you know between photo period and rainfall and and temperatures that they are triggered by the exact same thing that that uh, indicates to the white bass that it's time to spawn. So gotcha. Gotcha. It's cool. So, uh, is there any other way to do a catfish, or is it? I mean, is frying the only way? That's the only way I've ever done a catfish. You know. I think catfish. Uh, what uh, lately, a lot of thing. One of the things I've been doing is is uh, uh, I will bleed bleed a catfish out. So cut it uh, once you catch it. If you've got a cooler handy, uh, great. Take it, uh, cut it right behind the gills, uh, and bleed it out real well. Um, and you'll see a noticeable difference in the uh, texture and color on the meat. Um, and then I, I fillet them out and then skin them. Uh, if the catfish is, I'd say three pounds or above, then I will get what I call the third fillet, which is that belly mm-hmm. off of it. And I trim all the silver off of both sides off of it. And then you get like two really good fatty, almost like nuggets off the bottom. And if you're catching flatheads, definitely do not pass up on the belly. I mean, most mm. flathead fishermen know about the flathead belly mm-hmm. being pretty much about as good as it gets in freshwater. Oh yeah. Uh, and then, uh, yeah. And then, uh, I'll, I'll typically, yeah, I'll fry them. Uh, another good way to do it is to smoke them. Uh, very, they, they smoke really well too, uh, where you would like do a little cure of salt and sugar, maybe black pepper on them for a couple hours and then throw them on the smoker until they're cooked. And then you can take that and mix it with cream cheese and make a, a dip out of that, which is very nice. Uh, catfish goes in gumbo very nicely as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think texturally it holds up real good for that. So even mixed with sausage or squirrel or meat, things like that, mm-hmm. the catfish can hold its own in a gumbo. Cool. Um, yeah. I, I, I love catfish. Um, you know, wild catfish in particular, I really don't care so much for the farm raised stuff, but, yeah, uh, sure. but I, I love, I love the wild catfish, particularly yeah. out of a, out of a river. On those bigger cats, do you ever go in and get that, uh, I call it the cheek, but it's like that muscle kind of right up behind their eye, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah if they're big enough, you know, grab that. It's kind of the same composition as the belly. It's got that, that it's firm but tender. It's got a lot of fat to it, um, and it's definitely a, a prime part of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so earlier, <clears throat> this is going to make our switch right here, all right? Earlier you said that gaff tops were one of your favorites from saltwater, which, you know, catfish, but... Pretty much every person with the Walmart Mickey Mouse rod has caught a gaff top and thought it was gross and threw it back in the water, right? <laughs> so, yeah. first of all, how did you decide that you were going to try to eat that thing? And then, how has it convinced you that it's one of your favorites? Well, I mean, I'll make the differentiation first between a hard head and a gaff top. Mm-hmm. So the gaff top's got that really long dorsal, and they tend to run a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I think about gaff tops, it's like, let's let get a disclaimer up front, we're going to be clear i know they're slimy i yeah. know they're incredibly slimy i've caught a gaff top out of muddy water before where i knew it was a gaff top before i saw it because somehow the slime from the fish had migrated about 15 feet up my line mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean it's yeah. just like that slime it's I've just like it. it's it's coming right for you. Yeah. You know, did you ever read uh, a magazine called sport fishing magazine saltwater fishing magazine you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Every April, they have an April Fool's column in there, and they don't tell you it's it's April Fool's, you know. And one of the columns, this is the first time I ever read it when I was a kid, one of the columns was that um, 
they were banning the fishing of gaff tops because people were licking the slime and it was a psychedelic and they were going to start banning the fishing for, for <laughs> oh, that's, that's solid. <laughs> it was good man i was like convinced as a 10 year old like that was a thing it's weird <laughs> uh, but anyways yeah slime on the line gross <laughs> yeah i mean the thing with the gaff top if you if you're if you're waiting and you got them on a stringer it's one thing but in a, in a cooler i know that they're, they're going to slime everything up real bad mm-hmm. um and you know we work with a lot of guides for our schools and i'll always be up front when in the booking i'm like and listen i, I got something else for you if you catch a gaff top you're keeping it and they're like uh <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like if you need i'll even provide a second cooler for it mm-hmm. which works if you really want to do it the right way and you and you know you're going to get in get into some gaff tops and i'm going to give you the reason why you should appreciate gaff tops more here in a minute but bring a second cooler and make a very cold ice slurry in there so like a ice and water and as soon as the gaff top comes in the boat just swing it right in there unhook it in that slurry it'll kill the fish uh, humanely and quickly and get it cold and it'll also kind of neutralize that slime or more to the point it'll kind of just make the slime a little more scrapable yeah <laughs> um, so but then you just go and you clean the, the gaff top as you would any other catfish after that uh my my point with the gaff top is is you you're you're out in the bay it's beautiful it's it's breezy it's partly cloudy whatever it is that you love you're casting lures you catch a fish that's a six pound fish that hits hits the hits the jig really hard it fights really hard uh it tastes really good you get it to the net and you're disappointed and i'm like well what about this whole equation where did that fish fail you Mm -hmm. you know and it really it kind of boils down to the slime and the mythology behind that fish and that it 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 served all those other purposes you know it hit all those notes that you want out of a fishing experience puts up a good fight they hit lures they hit bait um and they're they're actually once you get past that one that one thing that we don't like about them they're delicious they, i think they taste like a very mild kind of refined catfish flavor um and then again, those can be fried. We served uh, some fried fish to a bunch of guides once, about four guides. Uh, one of them came up to me in the kitchen and said, uh, he's like, that's the best fried fish I ever had. What was that? And I was like, ha, oh, <laughs> you have no idea how much pleasure it gives me to tell you that that was a gaff top. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he, he couldn't believe it. And I was like, yeah, it's gaff top, you know, fluffy, white, perfectly good fish for frying right mm-hmm. there. So, yeah. so uh, you know, you talked about the mythology with them. Uh, one of the things that I've, that I've heard about them, and uh, I guess this is something we need to be somewhat concerned with with all fish, especially saltwater fish, is uh, mercury buildup and other toxins. I've heard that gaff top are pretty bad about that. I don't know if that's the case or not, but is there just any general precaution for that with fish like that? You know, I I don't I can't speak to that too much. I think in general, mercury buildup is is a thing with older, larger fish. So, typically, any species you're talking about, as far as like heavy metal buildups, uh, the the bigger and the older the fish, the more uh, it it could be affected. And then also, I think different fisheries are going to be affected more. Um, so, you know, like a Galveston Ship Channel ga- uh, gaff top that's you know uh, 15 pounds probably 
uh, going to be more in that uh, range of concern than yeah. a Baffin Bay three powder. Yeah, since they come out glowing there in the Galveston Channel, it's just, <laughs> if the fish glows, yeah. it's probably not good to, good to keep it yeah. right. But yeah, I guess you know Baffin's. Uh, I actually looked on it at looked at it on the map this morning. That's about as remote as you can get on the yeah. Laguna Madre or uh, Texas coast. So pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool spot there. So um, the Texas coast kind of has a big three uh, that yeah. I always think about, right? So flounder, trout, and reds. Um, and they all, uh, you know, kind of differing from freshwater fish, they all really are quite a bit different when it comes to, you know, like the the texture of the meat and whatnot. Uh, of those three, are you going to do them each differently or are you going to – bread them and put them in grease like everything else <laughs> yeah. or what do you think no actually uh, you you do get into some more character uh when you get into salt water i think what that enables you to start preparing things uh in different ways and i i, I have my favorites for for all of those three um i will say trout is probably my i, I love it and i will eat it happily but it's probably my least favorite uh i'd say it's maybe in the top six mm-hmm. uh for me in the bay you know sheep's head black drum red drum uh flounder uh gaff top uh kind of all maybe coming in front of the trout uh redfish for me is primo uh i love redfish and i'm gonna cop out and say that i really love redfish on the half shell oh me too um, mm-hmm. people want they're gonna want a different answer out of me (laughs) for that but i really feel that one of the highest and best preparations of redfish is on the half shell that that smoky steaky quality you get from a big scaled fish cooked in that manner uh is maybe the highest and best use i love it and also like it because it's cultural and it's a way that people around here have embraced a fish made their own preparation taking a lot of pride in it and execute that consistently. Mm-hmm. And so I really support redfish on the half shell because it, it people, I think it gets them to appreciate the resource. Mm-hmm. Um, flounder. I love a baked flounder or a roasted flounder in the oven. Um, you know, stuff it with peppers and onions, uh, maybe some blue crab meat and uh, I can go off on crabbing too. It's like what that is one of my favorite things. If not my, <laughs> one of my favorite outdoor activities, crabbing, um, uh, crab meat, uh, maybe even cooked shrimp, uh, stuffed into a, fl- a scaled flounder and then roasted at 400 degrees. Uh, it's, that is fantastic. I think flounder is a very delicate fish. And so it responds well to like baking or roasting like that. Although that said, uh, flounder fillets, uh, fried. And if, if I do fry flounder, I do a very thin, more of a, more of a dredge than, than a breading, uh, Usually just, uh, I, use, I like to use uh, semolina flour, which is kind of a coarser Italian winter wheat. Uh, it's available in a lot of stores, but it almost looks like cornmeal. It's kind of yellowish. Uh, and it's, uh, I, I like to just do the flounder just in that and then fry that uh, pretty hot. Mm-hmm. Um, trout um, can are very good grilled whole. I think uh, they have the skin for it. Uh, you, you get them very dry, dry them off with towels very well, uh, oil the fish really well, and then get your grill grates uh, very clean and put the trout on there 
hole and grill it. Don't move it. And then you'll be able to get that nice crispy skin on there and then flip it over until it's done. And I think a grilled trout's real nice. Yeah. So they like to fall apart. That's one of the things with trout that's kind of difficult. I guess, is there a secret to making them stay together whenever you're doing that? No, no, they're just a delicate fish. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're just naturally pretty delicate. They've got a very fine flake, uh, like a flounder. You know, I, I think flounder and crappie are have like a very similar composition. Um, but redfish has got that sturdy, large flake to it, mm-hmm. as does black drum. And a black drum may, might be one of the most underrated fish out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, in my mind, it should be the big four because I mean, catching black drum. Man, uh, those are those are delicious fish. Yeah. You can do anything you want. You can half shell them. Uh, you can fry them. You can roast them. The same thing with the sheep's head. You know, it's got that giant scale on it. When you're almost doing yourself a favor by cooking it on the half shell. Yeah, uh, they're low yielding fish. They for the size, you get a very small fillet off of them. But uh, I think sheep's head is just. I mean, the the flavor on those is delicious. Probably due to their crustacean diet yeah you know, they're, and they're very rich they're fun to catch and pretty willing yeah. to take a fly and that's what they actually yeah. became one of my favorites i used to live down uh in brazoria so uh you know i'd go hit matagorda and and go to the you know to the backwaters and and you know sheepheads were kind of the bread and butter back there it's what you'd find on all yeah. the oyster beds you know and uh man they're just fun and they're cool looking and you know they just have yeah. those teeth it's just a really unique critter yeah yeah, we actually do some flounder gigging and gig a few of those things too because mm. they'll they'll kind of hang out at night in pretty shallow water. Yeah. And you're able to to stick a few uh, great fish. You know, again, another underrated one. I think Shannon Tompkins, uh, the you know famous Texas uh, outdoor writer, he he called him a fillet of crab. I think that was very, very well put. Gotcha. Well, speaking of crabs, uh, I did some blue crabbing um, off the East Coast on a vacation one time. And to get, like, a decent chunk of meat took a while. What's the the best way to do the blue crab thing, man? It just seems like it's so labor-intensive. Oh, it is. <laughs> There's no way around it, right? No, no you're doing it right. I got you. Yeah, yeah. Catch bigger ones? I don't know. Yeah, for uh, real. You know, those, you know, you get those big males. Uh, and I, I, I don't know. I just, crabbing is just something that I've really grown to love. Uh, you know, having a kid, being able to, you know, go down to the coast. And it's, you know, you can either actively crab, you know, chicken neck on a string, or you can passively crab with the by running a crab pot so you know crab traps mm-hmm. which are you know relatively cheap and they can pay themselves off and you know a few few days you know a few good days of hauling crabs out of there but it's something that i've just really grown to love it's just you know figuring out where to put the traps and there's very little science to it you know mm-hmm. there's uh, you know, you find out the best bait. I think the best bait is chicken, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but yeah. fresh, fresh yeah. chicken, I think works better than stinky chicken. And, uh, and, uh, just, you know, knowing where to drop traps, uh, try different depths until you, you, you find where most of the crabs are. And then I, there's just something about going out there and pulling that trap up, you know, like mm-hmm. what you got, you know, what's yep. in yep. there when you pull it up and you got, you know, six big, male blue crabs in there it's just nothing better yeah. then we'll typically day one do a big boil boil all the crabs 
eat what you can and then everybody stay at the table and keep picking. Mm-hmm. Keep, keep keep picking, drinking beer, whatever it takes. Yep. Just keep them at the table. You know, just keep picking and then you have crab meat after that. And, you know, it's, it's just like hunting. It's just like when, you, when you're when you breaking that deer down and doing all the work on the front end, you want to – so you can enjoy yourself after that. And then you, you know, a couple quarts of picked crab meat for the next few meals. And then you're, you know, doing crab spaghetti and crab dip and <laughs> crab cakes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's cool. So man. let's let's shift over crustaceans a little bit. There's uh, – I think there's three types of shrimp available on Texas coast. Unless you got a boat, only two of those are available to you. Is that right? And what do you do with those? How do you catch them? Uh, the white and the brown. Yeah. Um, I haven't done a lot of shrimping. You know, it's the regulations on those are fairly strict. There's only yeah. certain bays. Uh, I think it's called major bays that you're allowed to shrimp in. And I've, I've watched some videos on it, and I, I would definitely like to get into it a little bit more. Um, because I love shrimp, mm-hmm. um, and it's you know it's just fun, but uh, it's not something that I've I've delved into too much. Now, I've definitely cooked and eaten a lot of shrimp, mm-hmm. but uh, I haven't gone out and, and caught them. Yeah, mm-hmm. have what? you ever caught ghost shrimp in the surf and, and eaten those? I used them for bait, but I've never eaten them. Uh, no, I haven't. Um, and those are the ones you have the little pumps for, yes. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just bought one of those last summer and haven't gotten to use it yet. It's addicting, let me tell you. So whenever you do use it, it's a, it yeah. gets a it gets a little bit uh, something about. It's kind of like treasure hunting, you know. Like yeah. you just stick that thing on there, digging something out of the sand is just fun, man. So yeah. something else you can use those for. I haven't done this either, and I want to get your your thoughts on it. Is those little coquina uh, clams, or I call them periwinkles, but they're you know, the size of a dime, and there'll just be thousands of them in a bed on the surf. You can use those pumps to, to grab those, and then I've heard of people, you know, washing them out real good and, and actually making a clam, Texas clam chowder out of those. Have you ever oh, heard wow. of that? Uh, no, I saw a video of somebody in Florida doing that, yeah. but I am I am down for any of that. You know, like, <laughs> I, love, I mean, crustaceans, you know, crabs and shrimp and periwinkles and mussels and all that. I just love them. And you know, I think kids too. They they change your whole outlook on the outdoors. Yeah. You know, you, you kind of you dial it back to basics, and then you know you realize that you can just walk up and down the beach and collect a meal, and it's it's so much. I mean, it just makes it so much more fun mm-hmm. for yeah. everybody. You know, and I think that's definitely something I would like to get into. I was thinking today that I need to invest in some crawfish traps. Oh, yeah. So that I can go out and, you know, catch some crawfish. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that would be cool. Yeah. What do you think is the most underutilized uh, type of of protein out there in Texas that nobody's really tapped into too much? Well, I mean, besides the feral hog. Yeah. (laughs) uh, I mean, I I think that it exists as an incredible resource and is underutilized, but that's obviously. Do you see how I just turned the conversation back to feral hogs? (laughs) That's what you like to do. (laughs) Yeah. you know, I I don't know. Um, you know, maybe uh, maybe it could be as simple as like a, a sunfish. Um, yeah. I, you know, I think what's also is fascinating. There's this group of guys down in San Marcos holding these invasive fish tournaments, uh, and they're going out there and they're spear fishing in that crystal clear water, the uh, placostomus, uh-huh. armored catfish, and tilapia, yeah. which are just taking over that whole watershed. This might not answer your question directly, but I, 
what I see there is the utilization of a resource. I mean, an invasive resource, a destructive resource. These guys are turning it into a tournament, and then they have a fish fry at the end of it. Mm. And it's, I, I couldn't support that more. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you know? oh, yeah. Nothing like a fishing tournament that you kill the stuff and eat it. Now, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Instead of just killing it and throwing it back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Man, that's cool. That's Thank you for spending so much time with us, Jesse. It's been uh, it's been enlightening, and and uh, uh, frankly, it's about noon, and I'm starving. Oh my you know gosh! I mean? I'm like, still thinking about the hot bird too. thing, man. <laughs> yeah. Goodness gracious! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure, yeah. So, um, for, how can people find the book? I have the book. Uh, I bought it when I went to your restaurant. And uh, didn't see you there, which apparently you're not there very often. So I probably won't go again <laughs> unless you're going to be there. <laughs> no, uh, but the book is awesome, dude. I've used several recipes out of it. And it's just so, it's exactly what I wanted this podcast to be and what it turned out to be. It's just so common man food oriented. You know what I mean? It's just like, I don't have to have some weird ingredient from a Chinese uh, market that, you know, I don't frankly live beside because we don't live, you know, within an hour of Dallas even. So, you know, right. I love that aspect of it. Um, so what, how, how can people find the book? And you have another one coming out too at some point, right? Talk about that. Yeah. Uh, the first book is called A Field, A-F-I-E-L-D. And uh, you can, I mean, it's, you can just get it off of Amazon right now. We sell it at the restaurant, um, uh, find bookstores everywhere, uh, really. And then uh, I've got another book that I've been working on for for years now, and it's uh, it's going to be all about the feral hog, uh, start to finish, uh, hunting, uh, trapping, uh, different butchery techniques, different size hogs, many many recipes. I think we've got eighty or ninety recipes in there. Um, the history, physiology, shot placement, everything about uh, feral hogs. Uh, it's cleverly called the hog book and uh, we hope to get that book out this year we're we're kind of wrapping it up but every time we think we're closer we decide to add more to it and so it's just been a it's 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 going to be worth the wait uh because i think it's going to be kind of the compendium of of information on consuming feral hogs um so yeah those the first book available now uh hog book hopefully 2020 um, and then we've got our, our classes, our continuing education classes for new hunters and experienced hunters. We do private classes for groups on their ranch, or they can come to one of our partner ranches and come hunt hogs, deer, even ducks. Uh, we, we put together fishing classes down on the, co- on the coast where we will curate the guides, lodging, food, everything. And that's under the uh, New School of Traditional Cookery. And all this information can be found under the Daidue website. That's spelled D-A-I-D-U-E, and that's the restaurant here in Austin where we serve uh, tons of uh, wild fish and game and all kinds of good stuff here. So, yeah, and if anybody uh, wants to get in touch with me, um, I'm, I'm generally pretty good. Uh, communication uh, <laughs> and t- contact me through the website and get more information about any of that cool we will link to all that in the show notes so if you're listening and you're interested feel free to look down there and go to one of those links Jesse can't tell you how much we appreciate it man thanks for doing this yeah I love what you guys do and I mean whenever you want to have a, maybe maybe too long conversation you let me know <laughs> okay that sounds good <laughs> no, dude. I, I, uh, you guys get it, and I, I really enjoy talking to y'all. And I think that your audience is is the is the one uh, that that I want to talk to. So I, I really appreciate, appreciate that. 
Thank you, man. Thanks, man. So we actually recorded this uh, a few days ago, and for the um, for the football games this week, um, I we had a chicken wing um, cook off, and so like my family, we all like went head to head, and my wife won, but <laughs> my my mom's really good too as usual, um, but the, mine were the quail and pheasant that I had you know mm-hmm. shot a couple weeks ago. And I did the hot hot birds, hot fried birds recipe that is in Jesse's book that he mm-hmm. was telling me to do. And dude, it is so good. Yeah. So I good, would man. imagine. Uh, luckily, today, as we are doing this part of the interview, I've already eaten lunch. Whenever we did me the too. interview with Jesse, oh. I was starving to death. Dude. And I was like drilling. Yeah. Just straight up getting my mic nasty. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just coming on out. Yeah. No. So, uh, I, I can't wait to, uh, take advantage of that hot fried bird thing, man. Dude. I love hot wings, man. Mm. It's one of my favorite things. Mm. And yep. my wife don't like bones, so I never get to eat them. Yeah. And she wants boneless wings, which ain't a wing. Yeah. Like, come on guys. But a fried pheasant chicken strip. Mm. Oh, that does sound pretty, pretty good. good, man. Pretty good. And that's Ooh. what I did. And I just kind of put the glaze on them, you know. Oh, so yeah. good. Fresh jalapeno. I'm um, kidding. I'm hungry still. Yeah, I can eat. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so actually those, uh, the pheasant and quail, I'm going to try to make, uh, you know, I did quite a bit of video stuff there, but I didn't get a ton of like actual shots on, yeah. on film. And, um, I'm going to try to put together a video of that eventually. But, uh, in the meantime, you can definitely watch, um, the two, deer hunting videos that we released on the same night they're kind of a part one two thing um they're not actually denoted or titled as a part one and a two Mm -hmm. but they were definitely like one before the other and it's literally all in one day and fully edited down it would have been like a 38 minute video or something like that so we decided to split them into two parts because uh it kind of naturally the day split itself that way um from like morning to to uh, midday and evening, and so anyway, go watch that. Um, also subscribe. Yeah, while you you're know? there, be sure and hit the subscribe button because uh, we like it when you get to watch our videos, guys. And the bell. If you hit the bell, this is an important thing for us because uh, I, I just I'm trying to be transparent with you guys all the time. Ninety uh, percent of our watch time in the last month has come from people who are not subscribers, which is good for us because our videos are, are being uh, searched out apparently or however you want to put that. But um, apparently our subscribers uh, are not being notified. So make sure you have hit the bell, which is if you go to our channel, you'll see the subscribe button and beside it is a bell. And that means if you hit that, that means you get a, a notification, a little push notification or something that like we have uh, put a video out and, if you want to watch it, you can. If you don't, you don't have to. You should, because we try not to ever put out crap videos. They're usually yeah. pretty decent. It's not like, which bow should you buy? <laughs> and if you like those videos, that's okay. You know, There's a lot of people that have great videos on that stuff, but we're not the guys for that. Yeah. But if you want to see giant bucks running around everywhere, yeah. be sure to subscribe. And, I mean, don't let me jinx this, but big bass being caught, you know oh, what I mean? Oh, my goodness. Mm, it's going to happen. Oh, my goodness. And you're going to fillet them. Today? <laughs> <laughs> Not today. <laughs> For like, I'm gonna scale them, dude. You, yeah. Can you imagine scaling fried a hole. ten pound bass? Fried hole. <laughs> That's right. Deep fried. Deep fried. Well, you think deep fried turkeys are cool? <laughs> yeah. Why do you see this bass come out? <laughs> dude, we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. Anyway, uh, yeah, go check those out. Subscribe. Also, sub- subscribe to the podcast. But subscribe to the podcast, and we uh, you'll be notified when we release these new podcasts as well. We're gonna try to continue just keeping top notch. Uh, 
um, guests and just overall just good concepts and that kind of thing, man. It's a, it's honestly, uh, one of the more, I guess, I don't know if taxing is the right word, but difficult things that we do is come up with really try to come up with like really good, creative, new ideas for podcasts. We try not to have guests that a ton of other people have. And sometimes that's going to happen, but, um, we try, we try to, uh, just give a lot of good information and different angles and that's a tough thing for us. So we appreciate you subscribing if you haven't, um, to this podcast as well on whatever platform you do that. So anyway, with that said, don't forget that we are doing the Map Scout Challenge. So as soon as this video or this podcast wraps up in the next couple of minutes, go and uh, send us one of your map dots that you'd like to see that you're like, man, I'll probably never get back there because that's like a mile and a third, you know, and I don't want to go back there that bad. But man, it would be nice because if there is a big deer back there, I'd probably go hunt it a couple times a year. Send that spot to us. We'll go check it out. We'll video the wide angle of it. We'll send the, or we'll show you the tracks. We'll show you the rubs, the scrapes. Uh, see if there's any tree stands in there, which happens a lot in Texas. I mean, you mm. could go a mile, mile back in, man, and and if it looks good on the map, it, there's a chance, there's a good chance there's a stand there. So, um, you know, if that's your kind of country, then we'll let us go see if the stand is there for you. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, send us spots, and we'll go check those out. Two or three in, in the same general area or WMA would be awesome because we that would give us a good chance to go uh, to that WMA and and make it worthwhile. So. Anyway, uh, do that. What else, KC? Anything else? Uh, be, be ready to shoot squirrels. Yeah. Uh, because uh, there's some running around in the yard right there's now. There's a black, that black squirrel's Dude, over there. Dude, why do they like it when it halfway rains? I don't know. I think it softens up the ground. They can get their acorns out that or something. might be it. Dude. I don't know what it is, but it's like when the when the ground's moist, they're out. Yeah. So it's kind of crazy. But <laughs> otherwise, uh, can't wait till it warms up a little bit. I'm t- so tired of the cold weather now. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, uh, look forward to some hog hunting content coming from us pretty soon too. Yep. We're gonna be doing some some out some shooting hogs on public land stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what else. Go subscribe to YouTube. Watch a lot of our videos and leave us comments. All the nice things, guys. Yeah. We'll be nice to you. You be nice to us. You guys have been doing that a lot lately. We'll be nice that to feels you great. Way, actually. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, but it, it does. It, it does feel good, and I appreciate that a lot. Um, anyway, with that said, go buy Jesse's book. Uh, it's You won't regret a field. it. Yeah, it's called A Field. It's uh, Jesse's just a cool dude. He's just so down to earth. Um, and, you know, I've been digging into his book since uh, we interviewed him a few days ago, and uh, man, there's just some good stories. It's so well written, as you could tell in the podcast. He has a great vocabulary, so good chance to learn new words and uh, be confused as well. And, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, with that said, it'll inspire you to get out and uh, go catch some beach fish or something like that, you know, and mm-hmm. and uh, and start a campfire somewhere and kind of do that thing. Man, it's it's just uh, it's good to be inspired and get out in the woods because. Uh, um, with the what we do here, I mean, I spend a lot of time in front of a computer, and I just I cherish the time that I get to be outside, especially on a sunny day, which is not today. Mm-mm. So, anyway, go check it out. If you're ever in Austin, Texas, eat at Daidue. It's a great restaurant. Been there once myself. Or the Taqueria. Or the Taqueria. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. All right, guys. Well, remember, this is your element. Living it. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. 
They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit MarketHouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. 